previously on Cyberms and Cigarettes, we began our recap of Part 1, which was done previously on Cyberms and Cigarettes. And now, for Part 2 of our Part 1 discussion, we have one wolf calling another, Emma. Hello. The fourth dickhead sibling, Natalie. What's up? Drew, a.k.a. the Phantom Weasel. Hey, hey. And me, the Joker of the Napoleon deck, Chris. But unlike the Napoleon cards, Chris, you never ever bring us any bad luck. So says you. <laughs> also, hello and welcome to Cyburns and Cigarettes, a Loop on the Third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. We are covering all of the animated and live-action entries in, of the Loop on the Third franchise in mostly chronological order. Today. We're concluding our recap of Part 1's first nine episodes, covering episodes 5 through 9. Before we discuss these episodes, however, let's go over a brief, a brief recap of the series' directorial shift. After Tokyo Movie shopped a TV version of the pilot film around, Nyomiuri Television agreed to produce a television adaptation of Lupin Third. By that time, though, the only creatives involved with the pilot who remained at Tokyo Movie were Masaki Osumi and Yasuo Otsuka. So, Osumi took the role of director, and Otsuka, the character designer. Osumi approached the series with the full intent of aiming it directly at adults. In fact, it's often credited as the first anime series intended for that target audience. However, that approach was just not meant to last. After poor ratings following the second episode, Osumi was asked to tailor the series to a wider and more specifically younger audience. Osumi, well, he flat out refused. And with that, more or less, he was promptly shown the door, with a number of episodes left unfinished to varying degrees. Enter Hayao Miyazaki and Isao Takahata, two names you may have heard of before. Having worked previously with them both at Toei on things like Horus, Prince of the Sun, and Puss in Boots, Otsuka personally chose the two to resume where Osumi had left off. The two had plenty of experience working on animation aimed at a family audience, so they were the perfect pick to steer the series in the direction Tokyo Movie wanted. That said, they still had to contend with a number of episodes left in various stages of completion by Osumi. What that gave us is the group of episodes we'll be talking about in today's show, and even some of which we'll be covering in the coming months. So let's dive right into them. Starting with Episode 5 The Coming of Goemon the 13th, directed by Masaki Osumi, written by Tadaki Yamazaki, who previously wrote Is Lupin Burning? Storyboarded by Tomeo Kohanawa. Now, I'm, uh, I'm going to actually bring up the storyboarders from the previous episodes in uh, episode release order because, you know, it's important to bring them up. They're just as important as the writer and director. Um, uh, so, in episode order, we've got Soji Yoshikawa, Seiji Okuda, Kuyo Sai, and Masahiro Sasaki. Uh, you'll probably recognize Yoshikawa's name as he is the director and screenwriter of The Mystery of Mamo. And um, there's also Kuyuo Sai, who uh, you may know better by the name Osamu Motherfucking Dezaki. Kind of a notable figure in anime, and uh, also in this franchise, but we'll get to him a little bit later. In fact, actually, 
that, that is not the last of the storyboards you'll see by these folks, by the way. So, a brief synopsis of the episode before we begin uh, our discussion. So we got, um... Renegade Samurai, Goemon Ishikawa, is sent to kill Lupin with his invincible Zantetsuken. He proves his skills with the blade by slicing axes and blocking bullets. Can Lupin escape a sword that can cut anything? And what does Fujiko have to do with this assassination order? Let's talk about it. Emma, how did you feel about the first appearance of uh, our samurai friend? I, I like this episode uh, a lot. Um, part one really reminds me just how fun Goemon is. Mm-hmm. And I think that I forget that. Um, he, out of the main five, unfortunately, is my least favorite. Uh, still love him. I know. I know. Controversy. <laughs> uh, uh, Drew, Drew, when are we going to kick Emma out? <laughs> Soon. Haters, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a part of that is because he's just not given the opportunity a whole lot to mm-hmm. shine but in the episode like this episode and the other one about with him that we're talking about later he just is like so awesome <laughs> and just such a fun over-the-top character it's obvious that uh who are, like People working with him in part one actually knew what they were doing with him, mm. which is so incredibly rare. Uh, because I think part of like Goemon's a badass, but I think part of it is just the complete absurdity of his character. <laughs> like, <laughs> which in part is a lot of the comedy there. It's just like he can freaking cut a plane in half. Like, that is so strange. <laughs> it should not happen. Um, I, I just have a lot of fun with this one overall. I like uh, Lupin and Chigan just like on the sidelines, like clapping like maniacs in particular. <laughs> I just always, like, I love that little clip. Uh, I think there's a gif of it somewhere. Um, it's so humorous to me because they just, they look like symbol monkeys a little bit. <laughs> um, and it's really cute. They're just like cheering on. Uh, Goemon. Um, so that's really all I got on this one. I have more on um, Goemon's second appearance, but that's why I got on this. Nice. Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on um, uh, the Goo Man's first big appearance? Well, I'll get this out of the way, my boy. But, um, my boy. No, I'm <laughs> I'm kind of in the same vein with Emma. Not not that I don't love Goimon. I love Goimon. That's my baby. I know like <laughs> every time I make this joke with my best friend and I go, oh, my baby Goimon. And she'll be like, Natalie, he's a grown ass man. Yes, I know he's a grown ass man. <laughs> but, you know, 50 fucking years later, he needs to stop being gullible around women. <laughs> I can protect him. <laughs> but, um. To the episode itself, what I agree with Emma is that part one is in the rare vein that almost kind of, no, fully knew how to write Goemon. And I mentioned this when I guested on the podcast back in 2020, that Goemon unfortunately has this curse of nobody knowing what to do with him. And so it's very rare to find it's very rare to find movie specials heck even episodes that know what to do with him and and know what to do with him and know how to write him very well and obviously you cannot ruin an introduction 
it's a great introduction. It's almost in the vein of the manga, which uh, Chris will talk about once he once he gets to his thoughts. Our our resident manga scholar, but um, yeah, no, I I don't have any different uh, differing opinions of it. You know, contrary to like, I mean, in in juxtaposition to how I spoke about it when I guested, I will say that like Lex Lang trying trying to do a different Goemon in this hit very differently. And I did enjoy it. I, I fully loved it. And also, of course, um, I have no special regard for the Spanish dub of this. I mean, the only thing I will say is I still laugh that his dub name is Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> going on. No, we can't say that. It doesn't sound right in Spanish. Ramon. And I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I, I, I love this episode. I, I do. I, I just love going on. <laughs> My boy. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, how do you feel about uh, Goemon's coming? Oh! <laughs> oh I sorry. Had to speak. <laughs> it's the title of the episode. I know, but it don't sound right. <laughs> Filthy minds. Keep in mind, I'm keeping my thoughts to myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, <laughs> So yeah, a few things I noticed, especially watching the dub, is that the dub didn't switch openings like the uh, sub did, because I want to say starting with this episode or the one before, the original version used uh, Afro Lupin 68 mm. for the opening and had uh, Yasuo Yamada's Lupin narrating everybody's introduction. Mm-hmm. But uh, the dub of this episode used the uh, first OP. I have a uh... Quick question for you. Did you watch it on High Dive? Yes. So when the dub first like went on High Dive, all the episodes have, I think all of them, it may change at a certain point, but all of them have the first opening. The Discotech uh. Blu-ray has the Afro Lupin 68 opening with Tony Oliver doing that narration. Ah, okay. Because the Discotech guys had to like piece together Afro Lupin 68 to like have a good backing track. Because like the like the, like the part one soundtracks in this weird right, flux, right. so they like made their own mix of it, and so that opening is restored on the Blu-ray. But on because I I, oh. I know on High Dive today too, and I rewatched some of the episodes, so they just, they just used that first one. Okay, all right, yeah, good. No, um, yeah, like Natalie said, this episode is uh, based on a chapter for the original manga. It's actually based on uh, two or three chapters. Hmm. Like the first half of the episode is based on Goemon's debut in the manga as well, which. I gotta say, like, I really enjoyed this episode as well. It's one of my favorites. But I do wish they had included some of the gags that were in the manga version, such as uh, Jigen uh, continuously offering Goemon a cigarette. There's a bit where, uh, you know, Jigen is in the room with Lupin drinking tea, and when Goemon says that uh, he's been assigned to kill Lupin III, Jigen does a spit take right in Lupin's face. And I kind of <laughs> wish the anime had done that. And there's also the bit where after uh, Lupin and Goemon are both on fire with their huge battle there, their charred bodies both fall to the ground. Jigen runs up to one of them and he's like, oh, Lupin, thank God you're all right. Come on, let's get you out of here. The other body sits up and says, Jigen, that's Goemon, I'm Lupin. <laughs> Which is how the uh, chapter ended. Also, Momochi comes from a different story, the highway battle, which still looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, love, I freaking love the animation in that. That comes from a different story as well. I really like in the dub how 
after uh, the fire battle, the way Tony Alvarez Lupin just says, His infamous highwayman ancestor, Goyaman Ishikawa I, was executed by being boiled alive. I thought his descendants shared the same weakness to heat, and that's why the fuel. Wrong. And uh, Jigen comparing, Jigen saying that Lupin's an ass. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Also, Momochi's nickname, the Grim Reaper of Iga. That's cool, but the subtitled version, calling him the Death God of Iga, sounds a whole lot more badass. Yeah. Also, Goemon listening to a sultry DJ, does that ever really come up in the anime again? I don't think so. Right? It's like, I think that's a neat little character quirk. I do, too. That's his very traditional samurai, enjoys listening to a sultry DJ. Speaking with that DJ has got to be based on a real person, right? Well, I think we talked about that also when I guessed about if if not that DJ might be based on a real DJ of the time. Would have to, we would have to find that out, but no, you're you're right. Goemon's like full of contradictions. Does, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, ma- the man is forklift certified. <laughs> I don't know if that's a real DJ, but the uh, the song he listens to is a real song, which is pretty cool. It's uh, Omatsuri no Yoru from Rumiko Koyanagi. Yeah, he's a walking contradiction, but we love him. Mm-hmm. Um. I also really like Michelle Ruff's delivery of... I'm sorry I made you feel that way. You can really, like, hear the exaggerated pout she's doing. Mm-hmm. In that, uh, Drew, you mentioned this to me yesterday, but Momochi's delivery of him switching his story upon sensing mm-hmm. that Goemon is underneath him, it's a whole lot better in, in the original Japanese. It's like, mm. he sounds a lot more sincere in the dub, and it's just not as funny. No. <laughs> I also think it's kind of sad that the criminal supercomputer supercomputer in uh, Momochi's lie is corny sci-fi in 1971, but an actual possibility with AI technology nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah. Frighteningly <laughs> aged things. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was an unpleasant realization I had. <laughs> Also, apologies to the listeners if I don't sound great. I'm recovering from what I think is the flu. So, I also like the random Peter Max type art piece at the end of Momochi's Tall Tale. Not sure why it's there, but I like it. <laughs> also, Lupin killing Momochi is one of the most badass bits in all uh, of Part One. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> I also really like the way uh, in the dub, as Momochi is flying off, he just he yells to Goemon. So long! <laughs> also, Afro Lupin 68 always pairs so well with exploding vehicles. Yes. But the coming of the 13th generation Goemon Ishikawa, which is what the episodes should be titled, mm-hmm. it's really good. I like it a lot. Yeah, so I'm pretty much I'm pretty much fully in agreement. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and play my uh, I'm going to go ahead and play my hand early here. Uh, every single one of these episodes we're going to talk about tonight is a uh, absolute fucking banger, as far as I'm concerned. Like you know, with the, with the last batch, it was kind of like you know it was a little hit and miss. Some like you know not all great kind of rocky start. This is like I like for me this is around the place where part one really hits its stride. Yeah, where you've got. The Masaki Osumi, and it's, again, it's that weird period where Masaki Osumi was kicked out, but he had already worked on like a good amount of, not, not a, like not more than half, but like a good amount of episodes 
like to varying degrees. So you get this really interesting blend of like Miyazaki and Osumi that like, for the most part, it's kind of like hard. It, it can be like difficult to tell, but there'll be some key moments where you're like, that feels like a Miyazaki thing or that very much, like very much feels like an Osumi thing. Like, um, um, there's specific like directorial flourishes, like the bit when Goemon is listening to the sultry DJ and Momochi sneaks up on me, turns off the light and they have a sword fight. And like the only light source are the swords glinting off each other. That feels like Osumi, like down to a T that moment, man, this episode just rules. Like I forgot how much of a baller Goemon is in his first two episodes. Like it's, it, it it's a characterization from him that I don't think, we really see like another glimpse of for the most part until the opening of Goemon's blood spray when he's kind of all cocky, like on the boat, because like, man, you've got this Goemon who's like specifically the it's this and more more notably in the seventh episode we're going to talk about. But like the whole thing with him and Fujiko, because, you know, like the Goemon, like we usually associate is like the Goemon who is like stoic, badass master of the story, but like. The moment like any woman shows interest, it's uh, whereas this dude is like, like sitting cross, like Fujiko, like draped around him, just like shoulders out, just like what are you gonna do? And it, it like genuinely threatening Lupin. Absolute Chad. <laughs> the one time, the one time going on just radiates Chad energy, and it's like Fu- with Fujiko right there, and it's like. It's in part one. It's, it's kind of hot. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of hot. In episode five and episode seven, Goemon literally is Mr. Studio Girl. Like, <laughs> that is like him Mr. to a Studio team. Girl. <laughs> Again, like Chris mentioned, like you've got him listening to like a sultry DJ on the side. Like other Goemon would like be flustered and like have to go train because of it. Whereas yeah. this dude, he's just like. See Baller. this Goemon. This Goemon is not a baby at all. This this uh-uh. is a Goemon we miss. Like this is Goeman. Goeman. <laughs> I do not mind, and I think it's a cute little trope of Goemon being flustered around women. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it it can get redundant and can get old, and you know it just it, it drives even further this thing within Lupin of like women are fickle. You know, like. To quote my favorite opera, La Donne Mobile with Rigoletto, like women are fickle creatures, which we can be, but we're not <laughs> like the, the sheer disrespect, yo. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I love going. I love going, man. Going, man. Also, part one going on is with with Lupin. I will never stop saying this is is literally going on went from when I first met you. I thought you were a bitch to <laughs> Ohana means family. <laughs> Man, fifty years has done a number on it. Great, great character development. Yeah, indeed, indeed. They're just, they're just hanging out. You know, when I first met him, I thought he was a bitch, and I stole his girl. The, the little detail I do like is how he's like, you know, like, you know, he is Chad going on here, but I do like how he is. They do have that little element of him being dense because there's that moment when. Um, uh, Fujiko like walks in for the first time and is like, "Aren't you Lupin?" And he's like, "Ah!" And then he's like, "Well, aren't you Lupin?" He goes, "There's a man. There's a man. There's a man. Looks like Lupin over there." And Goemon, without a moment's hesitation, just picks up a sword and just runs out the door immediately. No questions asked. Where it's like, "Oh, he says, 
there's there's a, there's a little bit of dense going on in there, which is like a, a little nice glimpse. Which is straight from the manga. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's one of the scenes that gets adapted like almost word for word. I mean, even the whole thing with the spider, it's, you know, that Lupin claims to see. <laughs> Another thing I like about this episode, and it is a running theme for, again, all the episodes we're talking about tonight. Um, I love me some Lupin stories that are solely centered in the criminal underworld. And that's where, like, they take place, small, smaller stakes, just a bunch of shitty people fucking each other over is very entertaining. Yeah. Because, like, man... Lupin is an underhanded little shit in this episode, and it is delightful to see him be such a prick, which is, again, I would like to see more of, which I know sounds like an awful thing to say, but, like, it's a very fun aspect of his character, because you've got, like, this whole bit where, like, you've got Goemon, who's this, like, this dedicated master samurai, and, like, Lupin, like, gives chase and, like, court, like, you know, stands up to him on a roof and you think they're actually going to, like, duel, but then he throws a jar of liquid that just immediately sets Goemon on fire, which is just the shittiest move you can pull. But also I do love how Goemon reverses that by somehow throwing the rope, which magically transfers the fire right up to, (laughs) right up to Lupin on the roof. Oh, and also this is specifically in the dub, but it's in the dub and sub, but I love how um, Lupin again, being a little shit bemoans the fact that, the fire didn't work because of Goemon's ancestor. He thought he would be weak to flame. And then I think it's Tony, Tony Oliver in the dub mentions that like, you know, it's free cremation. (laughs) (laughs) Cremation's not cheap. So (laughs) let's go. (laughs) Surprisingly, but yeah, free free cremation. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) And then I also love the aspect of, of, of Goemon and like, Momochi, which is an interesting dynamic between them because, like, you know, Goemon is all, like, you know, again, Mr. Studio Girl, Chad Goemon. The moment Momochi starts berating him, he becomes like a little kid, which is a very interesting, like, aspect of his character in this. Maybe that's what reverted him. Maybe that's why Goemon is baby after this because Momochi just basically fucked him up. (laughs) I was going to say, I say he's like less of a kid and more like a puppy. That's a good way to put it. That, that's a really good. That's a really good way to put it. And like, um, uh, it, it just leads to a really interesting dynamic between them. And also, um, uh, everyone being like little like underhanded shits in this episode. Fujiko in this episode is fantastic. You get like again. One thing I'd like to see in the franchise a little more is Fujiko playing all sides at all times. She will stab you in the back the moment she gets a chance to. She is great in this episode. Like the, like the bit where. She, she, you know, she's with Goemon. She's helping him with the whole thing with Momochi. She comes to Lupin and is like, you know, go, go, you know, go kill Goemon. Like, you know, they're like, go handle him for me. While also like setting Goemon up to take care of Lupin for her to get them out of the way while she deals with Momochi, which is great because you get that whole argument where like both Lupin and Goemon accuse each other of being um, a lewd gropers. <laughs> which is <laughs> great because you know one of them very much is and one of them probably isn't. But I also love how Lupin is offended by that mm-hmm. and being called that. It's like, what, me? And you're like, um. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, um, you kind of are. <laughs> to see, what what I, th- what I would have thought would have been an interesting choice for the dub is after, you know, Goemon accused Lupin of that, he would have said, yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I think that would have been, a, you know, you know, it, you know, it still would have conveyed the, uh, 
you know, the, uh, the spirit of the scene, but. <laughs> the fact that he was offended by it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Me? <laughs> and again, that freeway, that, that final freeway fight is fantastic. And more of Lupin being, again, I'm going to say this a lot tonight, an underhanded little shit where he graduates from a jar of that liquid to a little shark water gun thing that causes a massive catastrophic pileup on the freeway where magically no one's hurt. And Fujiko makes off in the episode by pretty much pulling a Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler and just like getting like stinger footage of this car accident and making money off of it. Like, I, I know we too. We mentioned it in the first contact review about like that freeway scene. Yeah, they brought it back. Yeah, back to it. Yeah, it's like yeah, he like technically made up the story, but he also didn't because it was bits and pieces. So, <laughs> I mean, you could you could argue he just stole bits and pieces of what really, really in air bunnies air quotes happened mm-hmm. and just put it together, referencing moments like that. But yeah, they brought that back, which I love. Yeah. I love that nice little touch, and also, man, to I wouldn't, I would not have wanted been one of those drivers in that commute when that happened. No, shit, not a good day. No, <laughs> <laughs> you come in late to work. What the fuck happened? And you you're trying to explain. You're trying to explain yeah, your boss. Do you, okay, how do you explain that to your boss? <laughs> okay, sir, don't be mad at me. But some dude that news, looked like I swear. Some, some dude that looked like a monkey and some Edo period looking motherfucker were on top of a gas truck. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Get out of my office. Not as much as those two men were. No. Ah, <laughs> nice, nice, <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> this also brings to mind we we talked about this um, uh, when we did our previous reviews of these episodes. A lot of arson going on in part one. Yes. So much. Uh, yes. You got uh, the entire ending of is Lupin burning. The name is Lupin burning. Uh, Pi Cal. The ending of Farewell, My Beloved Witch. Uh, nothing in four. Magically, you got this one. I don't think there's any arson in episode six or eight. Part one must have been directed by Beavis from Beavis and Butthead because. <laughs> Arson Lupin. Yeah. <laughs> Arson Lupin. Nice. Fire, fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Also, I'm sorry in advance. Thomas is like on one today. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna hear him like throughout the entire episode. <laughs> nice, like, <laughs> but that but that wraps up this episode. And it it kind of leads to like something uh, interesting in part one is like the the tonal shifts we're going to get with these episodes that I really appreciate. Like this one is a bit more like on the sillier side, but still kind of dealing in that whole underworld thing. I, I'm looking forward to getting to some of the other episodes because it's like. Again, this little run kind of encapsulates what I love about part one. So um, uh, let's move on to the next episode. Episode 6, Rainy Afternoons Are Dangerous, directed by Masaki Osumi, written by Seiji Matsuoka, and storyboarded by 
Kinzo Koizumi. Fujiko asks Lupin to investigate the background of an amnesiac. After a visit to the doctor, Lupin discovers that the amnesiac is a mob boss who suppressed his own memories for six months to hide a secret. Can Lupin uncover the secret and get the better of Fujiko? Emma, how you feel about this one? Rainy afternoons, are they dangerous or are they bad? They're dangerous. Bad sucks. I'm sorry, TMS. You picked a bad title. I wrote rainy afternoons are actually quite nice. <laughs> yeah, aren't they? Yeah. I quite yeah. like them. Yeah. I uh, like you've been talking about, Drew. Um, I just like that this, uh, many of these episodes, including this one being like very like criminal underworld-esque. And when I was reading up on this episode, I, it seemed to have a lot of callbacks to the manga. Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Um, it's a direct adaptation of two stories. Which, that's why I was, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm not, like, super well-versed in the manga, so I was like, oh, wow. But when I was, like, reading through the notes on it and just seeing how many there were, I was like, oh, that's really cool that they basically, <laughs> like, just... Because <laughs> I, I think, like, a lot of episodes take bits and pieces of parts of the manga, but not, like, a direct like adaptation of one. Uh, so this one I think does a really good job of it. I don't really have like any like really strong feelings about it. I do know um, I really like Fujiko in this one, mm. uh, but I pretty much uh, any episode like Fujiko has been in any episode uh, so far. She's just, she's just great. Uh, like I, I think almost like how she is in like part six. She's like one of the strongest parts of part one too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, like rewatching part one just really brings that feeling back up for me, for her. I'm just like, I, I love her so much. Like you said, <laughs> she, it, it's every, every part of her that's great. And also just makes you want to like kill her. So, uh, which is part of her charm. Uh, that's what I have on that. Nice. So, Natalie, rainy afternoons. How you feel about them? I like them. I love the rain. Me too. I'm from I'm from California. We don't get a lot of it. And believe it or not, when it happens, it's like a pretty big deal. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of memes about that. Um, one of the more weaker part one episodes. Don't really like it. Never have. It feels like a marathon. I watch it in chugs whenever I have to rewatch it. I say have to because I help with this podcast. <laughs> but um, the dub was interesting, actually. Lupin and Jigen, especially with the fake Jigen, I believe, hit those notes pretty well. So, though, I still have that um, criticism of, like, um, Richard Epcar um, sounding phone in, the same one that Chris has. Yeah, I don't have... I'm sorry. I'm very... I'm also... I'm also recovering from having COVID last week, but long story short, um, don't have much to say about this episode because it's not one I really actually enjoy. The things I will say is like, oh Lord, Lupin, what the hell, my brother in Christ, for legit, you know, sticking his hand in God knows which cavity mm. of a dead man to get a diamond out. So, mm. it's just an autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but <laughs> but where'd he do it yeah but it's where did he do it autopsy but 
But at the same time, where was that diamond? Was it in was it in his brain? Was it in his stomach? Was it in his ass? We will never know. <laughs> well, what is worse, in Tokyo Pop version of the manga story, uh, Zenigata, you know, when he's providing the transport for the body, he actually says, what kind of sick bastard would shove a diamond up his... And then one of the other officers cuts him off. So, yeah, exactly. Like we don't know where it was. It could have been in his head. Could have been in his stomach. Could have been in his booty. We do. We will never know. You know, it's like how many licks does it get to the center of a tootsie pop? We will never know. <laughs> the greatest mystery of the Lupin the Third franchise. Yeah, the greatest mystery of the Lupin the Third franchise. Where did Lupin stick his hand into to get a diamond out? Though, you know, it's kind of like that that morally ambiguous question about Lupin about more being morally ambiguous how far did he go and apparently it's sticking his hand into a dead body so (laughs) dude's got no moral compass in that episode at least (laughs) there's limits i have limits that's one of my limits (laughs) but yeah no don't have much don't really have much to say i'm sorry i sound very like um indifferent to this episode but it's just it's not I, I don't like it i it's it's an episode that drags for me understandable i'll leave it at that Chris, I, I gather by the uh, both times I asked about rainy afternoons and us saying you we enjoyed them and you shaking your head no, I I, I imagine your opinion on rainy afternoons uh, differs from everyone else's. I live in Kentucky, and <laughs> I mean, today was a rainy afternoon. My day job requires me to be outside most of the time, so yeah, I, rain and I don't I have a great relationship. That said, I found the rainy afternoon of this episode. To be great. You know, rainy afternoons are not bad in this case. I would go as far as to say it's one of my favorite episodes of part one. Hmm. Because of the whole thing with uh, you know, it being a story taking place entirely within the criminal underworld. Mm-hmm. Which is something that, uh, you know, Osumi's episodes of part one did a lot. I feel like it's important to point out that rain is infamously difficult to animate. So props to the uh, TMS team for doing it so well in this. The way Fujiko tells Lupin, I just knew you would come. I feel like <laughs> if Michelle Ruff keeps talking like that, Lupin's not going to be the only one. Let me just say. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure what it is, but, <laughs> but Michelle Ruff is, for some reason, her performance in part one is sexier than. It is. Here we go again. I also feel like it's important to know that Fuchiko, like her character design has never been more beautiful than it has in part one, in my opinion. So it kind of all goes together. But um, <laughs> It all comes together. Well, my, my opinion is she's gotten, she's gotten far more beautiful as the years have gone. That's just, that's mm. my opinion. I mean, she really um, looks bad. I mean, like, um, oh, Lord, like, I have the hots for part four, Fujiko, like. Oh, yeah. My wife. <laughs> damn. I think the part four designs in general draw a lot from part one. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Well, I, when I was doing that meme of drawing, like, each, like, part, uh, yeah, I would agree. Like, part one and part four have a lot of similar, especially in the hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the lines in the hair, definitely. Um, and then part five, like, really leaned into her uh, part one hair. Like, in particular, just having it be, like, the full-on solid red with a little curl in, like, the middle. Yeah. yeah. The, she was very, um, 
her her body frame was very Jessica Rabbit in, in part five and not necessarily in a good way. It's just very much it's kind of like me in the vein of like Barbie is not that not that skinny. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I thought that way about, about her design in part six in particular, because in part six, yeah. she's like a twig with giant boobs. Yeah. Part six, she's a twig it's, with giant boobs. It's, especially in my favorite episode. I hate to say it, but. Yeah, part part six is Barbie doll Fujiko, and it doesn't look right. But <laughs> yeah. I digress. Anyway, um, I gotta say the Phantom Weasel is not a particularly <laughs> intimidating name, and I love it for that. Um, this is a funny name to hear said in English. I know, right? <laughs> I think it's like you know, it's not exactly something that strikes fear into the you know to the criminal underworld to begin with, <laughs> but then you actually hear it said in your native tongue and. It's, it's even less so. <laughs> so not threatening. <laughs> no, not at all. And considering what happens to the dude, Pop went the weasel. Let's... Hey! God. And, and then considering who his escort was for his hearse, with Pops went the weasel. Hey! Anyway, hey. there's something I think is interesting is that in the manga version of the story, the Phantom Weasel, who is not called that in the original version of the story, unfortunately. No. He undergoes surgery to uh, lose his memory. In the anime version, he had a brainwashing machine and dryer installed into his hideout <laughs> when the place was built. <laughs> Which is more ridiculous than the surgery. <laughs> and I love it. Wait, did you say a washer and dryer? A brain washer and dryer, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, I believe I made the same joke the last time we discussed this episode. Yep. Um, Evergreen joke. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also an amusing gag that uh, the anime version didn't do where when Lupin and Jigen are uh, being attacked by the Weasel's men in that car. So when Jigen shoots the trunk, he's... Uh, yeah, he's standing on uh, on Lupin's shoulders. And then when Lupin throws the uh, knife with the dynamite into the trunk, he's standing on Jigen's shoulders. <laughs> and Jigen's, yeah, neither one of them is happy with the arrangement. I I, I really like the, you know, Jigen's line when he sees Lupin unconscious on the floor. You're helpless on your own. I can't take your eyes off. I can't take my eyes off you for a minute. <laughs> um, so the whole thing with the uh, password, with the uh, fake, with the fake Jigen... I don't know about the uh, about the Japanese version of the manga, but in the Tokyo Pop translation, uh, the first the password that Lupin gives the fake Jigen is F, <laughs> and like everything else is the same. It's like I say Ko, you say comic. I say three, you say Lupin the third. And so for Jigen, he says, "I say F, you say." And the fake Jigen sweats for a moment, and he draws his gun and say, "I say fuck this." <laughs> Put that in the chat, boys. <laughs> and then that's when uh, Fujiko uh, guns him down and says, that was the wrong password. Also, I really want, in this episode, I really wanted to see Fujiko take down the real Jigen. It's like, it sucks to have an off, off screen. I wanted to see that. Mm -hmm. I also like when uh, Lupin reveals that uh, the fake Jigen was actually kid's meal. And he says, he's had his last meal and there'll be no supersizing him. That is such <laughs> a Gideon part two line. I love that. Yes. Uh, see, we already discussed uh, Lupin's barehanded surgery, <laughs> uh, which I'm not going to think too much more about. 
I like how in the dub, one of the cops is apparently named Rudy, which is an interesting <laughs> choice for an officer of uh, the Tokyo Metropolitan Police. That felt like a Genion moment there, too. Specific choice. <laughs> also, Lufan fell for the look behind you trick at the end. That is quite literally the oldest one in the book. <laughs> it's like, it's not even on the first page. It's in the table of contents. On the inside, <laughs> that's how old of a trick in the book it is. I also really like, uh, you know, the line at the end, too, where Jigen says, going to blame this on the rain, too? Stuff it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... So, yeah, I, th- I think this is one where uh, the dub actually does improve the episode a, a bit. Mm. You know, not too much, because it's a great episode to begin with. I, mm-hmm. I've always really liked it, and I feel like it's important to uh, mention that I have a small, I guess I call them capsule figure of Fujiko in the bathtub from the end of this episode. Nice. So I got that going for me, I guess. I have that too, like the uh, like the itty bitty one. Yeah, yeah, I, I have that one. I just have a general um, figure of Fujiko in the bathtub. I don't know if it is from this episode. It's a little bit bigger. I think I've shown it off before to you guys, but um, if it's solar powered, it has like a little solar thing, and it moves its leg. It's pretty cool. Oh, that's, that's cool. dope. Yeah. Oh, God, I've had that for almost um, almost 20 years. Like, <laughs> Let's see. So I'll go ahead and uh, chime in here. Let me see. So yeah, so for me with this episode, I, I have come around on this one since we last talked about it on the show. Mostly because the last time we talked about it, there were three separate attempts to record the review of it. So I watched it multiple times and got very sick of it very fast. And that may or may <laughs> not have uh, colored my colored uh, my opinion on it at the time because I'd seen it upwards of like possibly 10 times at that point. <laughs> I was kind of fed up with it. I actually had uh, quite a lot of fun with this one on this go around. It's not one of my like top favorites of part one, but I do really enjoy it. And like it, 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 one aspect of it I kind of liked which I kind of picked up on this go around. And one thing I like about part one in general that I think is like something that really only comes to mind for me with part one is how like how good a job it does of setting up like the atmosphere of a specific place, if that makes any sense. Like the opening of this episode has this like kind of like a pretty long establishing shot with like, you know, the sound of the rain pouring, but also when they are driving when Lupin's being escorted to the uh, the Phantom Weasel's mansion, there's this shot that holds on like the car tire, like spinning through the mud and like the rain hitting the mud, and then just them sitting in the car. You get the POV shot of Lupin in the back with the rain hitting the windshield and like his face in the rearview mirror. And then when they go to the mansion, there are like two separate cutbacks to the establishing shot of the mansion, which is the rain pouring. And I don't know, like that, that's a thing I think specifically, like I know in the Osumi episodes, there are moments when it will just kind of slow down and give you a real sense of place. So, you know where you're at. Cause you know, like you, you go from place to place to place, but each place has like, I don't know, you get just like the general vibe of the place. And like, I, I don't know, that's, that, that's something kind of special about these early, early episodes of part one. Like, you know, um, Sorry to interrupt you here, but ahead, I think that's ahead. I think it's something that uh, you know Monkey Punch did a lot in the uh, mm. original manga, especially, and so I think it's really cool to see Osumi uh, kind of like latched onto that aspect because mm-hmm. like you know so many of the uh, I'm gonna, even later manga chapters too just will start off with just like two pages of just scenery setting the uh, 
stage. Mm-hmm. And that's like, now, again, I'm not going to like speak in like broad terms. But that's that's just not something that comes to mind with a lot of Lupin stuff that I watch usually. And it's something that's really picked up on, on on these watches. It makes me appreciate a whole lot more because like I like the pace of them because like they can be a little slower, but that slowness like gives every location a real sense of place that I really like. So like that's one thing I like. And also another thing, speaking of sense of place, I love how there'll just be these moments and specifically in this episode where like they'll be in these locations that are like green mountainous locations in Japan. But then all of a sudden they're like in like this sparse, like deteriorated forest where it looks like a desert landscape with just dead trees surrounding them out of nowhere, which happens a few times early in part one. Maybe that's the same forest where Paikau encountered Fujiko. Possibly, man. Like, that'd be, that'd be <laughs> a little bit of continuity. That would. That, that's that would be interesting. That would be really cool. Like <laughs> everywhere Pikeal went, the forest just burned. <laughs> but no, I'm uh the sense of place, the uh, random desert. But also, I, I kind of like how again, this is maybe just me reading too much into it or just getting too much in the weeds. But I, I, I love when they'll do those set pieces that are in those like kind of sparse, like orange desert locations with, like the dead trees because it gives it almost like this western vibe to some kind of scenes which i don't know it, there's just this again i'm dumb so i can't like articulate it that well but there's just something really special about part one and its atmosphere and locations and stuff i don't know like it, 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 there's this magic to it that i really really dig one thing i uh noted in this episode and i should have brought it up in the last one uh jigen being the uh, the god of lounging around any location he's in, which is something I really picked up on in this episode. Lounge king. <laughs> yeah, lounge, lounge king, king indeed. Because, I mean, literally, the first appearance we get of him in part one is him literally sprawled out in the grass with, like, his legs, like, cross his little foot kicking up and down, talking about, like, how nice the birds are and the location and everything. In the Pike Cal episode, he's just laying on the couch. In like even when Pai Cal and like even when they like destroy the mansion trying to like take on Pai Cal, he's still sitting on like the couch, just like torn up, just resting on it, like not a care in the world. He is literally like the lounge king. He the- is again, like even like the little like the, there's that bit here when he's talking to uh, Jigen about the whole situation with the weasel. Like Jigen's just like sitting on the table, and uh, there's this beautiful little detail in the animation where his foot's just hanging off and just kind of swaying back and forth. And it's it's a brief moment, but it gives him so much character. And then, I, I guess that's the thing about part one I like, is like, there's so much character in it, even just in locations, in little shots here and there. There's just so much attention to detail. Like, And again, like down to like, you know, the cars being rendered beautifully, the watches, the guns. I don't know, there's, there's, there, there's something about part one that I like, and I feel like they've gotten better. I feel like they've gotten back to that recently, and they've always kind of done it. But like you know, in part four, they kind of brought an emphasis back to that, and specifically in the Kawike films. And it's just it it's it's good stuff, man. I like it. Part one's good. There's really a lot of emphasis, like you said, like place, but like on the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, I think like when you mentioned part four, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of mm. focus on the location. I think that's one of the things that just defines Lupin and what attracted me to it in the first place. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I have this, I have a sense of wonder loss, wonder loss, and I, I really want to travel more and I've traveled 
quite a bit. But like with Lupin, the thing that intrigued me about it, also stemming from my love of um, where or where on earth is Carmen Sandiego, is just that general, you know, like the 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 several several aspects of like how much attention to detail they put, even if like we can joke that like in um, Howdy Miles Treasure, there's no hills in Amsterdam or how much I like to uh, complain uh, for fun uh, in Alcatraz Connection. But no, the attention to detail that the series has with locale, even with like dishes or even certain things is, is astounding. Um, even in the six, even in the seventies, they did the um, TMS did their homework. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's great. Again, if it's, if you're doing a series on a, on a gentleman thief that is traveling the world, you kind of have to have that attention to detail, but also like the cars, the yes. cars is another aspect that I enjoy about it. I mean, I grew up going to car shows with my dad, so I have an appreciation for old cars and it's one of the things he and I bonded with, especially with Lupin. Like I would be watching Lupin and he would recognize not just the guns, but the cars, it's it's that attention to detail. Mm-hmm. You don't you you rarely see that even in American cartoons. Mm. So I think that uh, that attention to detail, especially when it came to cars, and gadgets, and weaponry, that began back with the pilot film. Yes, because the pilot yeah. film uh, devote a lot of time talking about Lupin's uh, Benz in particular. Yeah, and how he got it because it was Hitler's car. Right, and how this it may be a Mercedes Benz SSK, but it has a Ferrari engine. Yeah, like that. That's attention to detail. Yeah, right. it's like that wasn't necessary, but it's cool, mm-hmm. and that's really all that matters. I feel like I need to correct myself a little bit because it, it, it's, it's not just in part one. Then, like they do it in part four in the Kawika films. Like part part one establishes like that, and that becomes a staple of Lupin, like forever moving yeah, forward. Yeah, definitely. I guess I, I don't know what it is. I guess it's just something about it being. I don't know. Is it is something about it being the first one that does it? Because like, there's just that much more attention to it. I don't know. For like, Are you also saying this because you've noticed it off of coming off of part six? Yeah, that's probably why. Because now that like we talk about like, it, I think about it. Because like part six is kind of like, it, it, it's very much looming on my brain because it's the last series I rewatched in full because like the, the, the locales and everything is like, that's a staple throughout the series. Like, I mean, an example, like in the TV specials, Operation Return the Treasure, when they go to the uh, Sagrada Familia at the end, those mm-hmm. backgrounds are stone cold gorgeous in that. Jesus Christ, as someone who has been to Barcelona and seen the Sagrada Familia, the scene where the girl of the week, Leticia, where she's going to the Gaudi Gardens next to the Sagrada Familia, that's a legit thing. So you could imagine, I watched this special when I just came back from backpacking. And I saw, you know, this still fresh in my memory, my being in Barcelona. And I'm just like, I wanted to cry because that attention to detail felt lovely. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's important to note that, you know, I said this kind of attention to detail began with the pilot film. And I'm staying by that because it wasn't really a thing in the manga. Hmm. Characters yeah. would just drive generic cars or fire generic guns and of course, like you know, like later stuff, like uh, there's a, a chapter of uh, uh, Monkey Punch's uh, "Sexy Lupin the Third series, where we see Lupin driving his Alfa Romeo from uh, Part Two, but that was inspired by Part Two. Mm-hmm. So I so I attribute uh, yeah, a lot of the real world details to 
the pilot film in part one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even you have down to like the brand that they smoke. Yep. Yeah, the oh, brand wow. of cigarettes that they smoke. Um, I, I just, I off the top of my head, I can't even think of another series that has done that. Like, mm-hmm. show, like actually shown like a brand. Um, but uh, I, I know I talked a lot about the uh, the atmosphere and the shots. As for the episode itself, I like it. It's fun. <laughs> I, I should probably mention that. Like, you know. The, the first half is a little slower and a little more plotty, which I, I don't mind. Like, it's a lot of fun. There's still fun stuff in there. It is, but I will admit, my favorite aspect of the episode is after, you know, the commercial break fade out. Once you get to when they're in the uh, the uh, the cabin meeting with Tatsu and uh, Gantetsu, and you, you, get, like, you get the whole gang there. Like, the, like, that's when the episode, like, really fully kicks into gear for me. It's so much fun. And I want to highlight the dub in particular because uh, also I do appreciate the dub calling Mandala Tatsu Mandala because that t- Tatsu technically translates to dragon and Gontetsu technically translates to rock iron hammer or to rock iron. I forget exactly what it is, but like those read all right on the subtitles they are kind of weird, but I'm glad they actually just said it in the dub, which made their name sound a lot more natural because I was worried they were going to say dragon Mandala and rock iron hammer, which would be a big old mouthful but um uh, th- th- there's one moment in the dub i don't know why this specific thing cracked me up the most but it had like it was a little glimpse of that kind of jinion vibe the bit when gontetsu gives a demonstration of his abilities and he's like i can do this and he like jumps on the roof and he's like and i can do this and then jumps spins around puts all the dynamite and as he sits in his chair he crosses his hand and he crosses his hands and goes Fast. <laughs> Next. Which, like, I don't know why that line reading just cracked me up as much as it did. It's so direct. I, I know. I also, I, I love that this episode just ends on a big switcheroo, which is always delightfully fun. You get, like, this whole setup of, you know, switching the construction sign around. They got a backup van. It's got to be timed, you know, like, perfectly timed at the right time. It's, it's, again, it's just Lupin hijinks and it's real fun. And they, they have to do the switcheroo on a road that looks like a cross. I'm glad they translated it that way in the dub. It's a cross. The dialogue specifically says Manji and a Manji technically is a swastika, but it feels weird when the subtitles say that where it's like, all right, man. <laughs> you know, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, you mentioned the heist at the end. In the uh, manga version of the story, I keep bringing this up because this is my thing, damn it. Um, the story ends with uh, you know with Lupin jumping uh, out of the paddy wagon after retrieving the diamond, and then underneath it you see uh, panels like showing exactly how they made the switcheroo with like mm-hmm. a you know like an overhead shot of the map and all this. And at least in the Tokyo Pop version, there's a caption above it that said that Lupin and the gang celebrated pulling off the height successfully by uh, diagramming how they pulled it off on cocktail napkins. <laughs> That's how the chapter ends. <laughs> but yeah, overall, it's not one of my top favorites, but, you know, not having to watch it multiple times on three different recording attempts, you know, I had, I had a lot of fresher perspective on it this go around. So that certainly that, helps. That was nice. <laughs>
And so now let's let's talk about it. The return of Mr. Studio Girl, the Chad <laughs> Samurai, Episode Seven. One wolf calls another. Okay, so the director for this episode was uncredited. So that's on the Wikipedia. And if I'm not mistaken, that was the case for the Discotheque DVD as well. It was uncredited with both, you know, work from Masaki Osumi and Miyazaki and Takahata. However, take this, I don't know how to quite take this. The uh, 50 animated years of Lupin the Third book, which is the, the official TMS sanctioned guide, lists the director solely as Masaki Osumi. So, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm still going to say uncredited with work from both because at this point, this is one of the episodes where I think specifically in the second half, you can really tell that Miyazaki and Takahata had oh, a yeah, hand. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, mean, yeah. Like, I mean, like the duel between Lupin and the old man in particular. Yes. That right. feels very Miyazaki and Takahata. So while, like, I guess in, in, in the 50 animated years of book, I guess me, I guess they, like, credit to whoever has, like, the most or sometimes they'll credit both. I don't know. Either way, both of them were involved. The episode was written by Atsushi Yamatoya, who previously wrote The Man They Called a Magician, and this was storyboarded by Kuyu Sai, a.k.a. Osamu motherfucking Dezaki. <laughs> I, again... Just, just put an air horns every single time you pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I, I think moving forward, I'm going to stop calling him Kuyu Osai because it's Osamu motherfucking Dezaki. <laughs> okay. You know, it's too bad. This is an audio medium because if there was some way you could do like the postcard memories thing, whenever you say his name, Osamu. <laughs> 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 That'd be beautiful. Uh, all right, so Lupin is after the secret scrolls, a series of scrolls once pursued by Arsene Lupin that contain the secret to creating a blade similar to Zantetskin. He enters a competition that turns out to be officiated by Goemon. Lupin finds himself in a duel to win the scrolls against an old rival for his father, Lupin II. And I guess that's why that's kind of a clumsy synopsis. But anyway, Emma, how about Goemon's second coming? The second coming of Goemon, <laughs> our Lord and Savior. He, he's risen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the way Fujiko's draped on him, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. So one wolf calls another wolf. <laughs> I'm going to say one wolf calls another. <laughs> I know TMS wants to use the really clumsily, like, translated titles, but come on. Rainy afternoons are bad. One wolf calls the wolf. That's just, like, your opinion, man. I know, I, but TMS, you're wrong. No. I was, oh, God, I was making a meme. This is probably my favorite episode of the ones that we're talking about Ooh. tonight. Yeah, I, I this sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, like it feels very like two different part two episodes in one. Like the one with the <laughs> the eggs, uh, the, the, the three minute egg boil, like that that one. <laughs> and um, there's another part two episode that I thought of that it reminded me of, but and I couldn't think of it. Um, so it just like really 
goofy and um again and just the absurdity of goemon his character (laughs) (laughs) and uh like like you've referred to earlier he's just like a baller like yet he has a woman on him and he has like this smirky like smarmy grin yep it's like who is who are you (laughs) (laughs) so and i love that i like yeah, like a big part of like what we were talking about earlier with Goemon is that he's usually seen as like really stoic warrior. Mm-hmm. I kind of like his little cocky little bullshit. Attitude. Yeah, uh, it does not come out often enough, but I know that it's there because mm-hmm. it has to be. You can't be one of the best, if not the best warrior, like known and not be just a little bit cocky. <laughs> I know that's like not the warrior way, but nobody's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in late after part one, he really became very humble, and I and, and I agree. I miss I miss I miss, I, I, I miss the uh, Chad Goimon. Yes. Um, it's obvious how much fun Lex Lang has mm. in this episode. It's so good, and um, I just one of my favorite things. It's what, actually one of my favorite shots in the whole series. It's just that shot of Goemon Lupin laughing. Yeah. I, I just want that like poster size just like on my wall. I love it. I, it's just like bring, gets me like so giddy and so I like butterflies. It's like, oh, they're friends. <laughs> <laughs> they're friends now. Um, which is such a like a pivotal moment uh, in the series. Yeah. I would say out of the ones that we're talking about this evening, uh, this is definitely my favorite one natalie how about him the wolves um i love this episode i do i love um i love the reference to arsene lupin Mm. anytime there's a reference to og grandpa lupin i get giddy and i love that sense of continuity i'm not going to sit here and talk about is he is lupin the third the actual descendant or is it a title we can debate this all we want but i like it when arsene lupin gets referenced I agree with Emma that Lex Lang just sounds like he's having so much fun. The dub of this, like, I, I I prefer the English dub of this than I do the Latino dub. Not because the Latino dub was bad. The Latino dub was not bad at all. It's just that this dub was just was just incredible. And and Lex Lang really shines in it. I do yeah, and I love cocky, arrogant Chad Goimon. I don't have anything that like really stands out in terms of this episode, just that I just generally love it um and um i love how and i guess in this sense it cements going on into um the group after this especially with the ending so yeah nice love it (laughs) chris how'd you feel about this one again (laughs) well for starters i've always liked that there was like a non-goyama story between episodes five and seven like I'm Mm. i'm not sure why it's you know, the fact that we had rainy afternoons are dangerous to kind of break it up, break mm-hmm. up this you know, little story arc. I don't know. I always appreciate that. But again, this one's based on a few different chapters of the manga. I, I think it's actually based on like a story arc, a, a short one, a bit. And uh, the uh, last uh, few scenes of the episode are based on a chapter called uh, A Day Without Killing, which I've always really loved the ending to that one as well. It's like to the point like, both the anime and the manga versions of the story have such great endings. I'm not sure which one I prefer because I mean, for one thing, like both versions of the story have a, 
Lupin driving half a car, for one thing, <laughs> which is such a great you know visual gag in both versions. But in the manga version, there's a uh, a running theme where Lupin is taking the day off, and you know he's uh, trying to get it on with this uh, girl that he's dating, and Goemon keeps showing up at the worst times <laughs> and interrupting them. And there's also a, a bit with uh, they allude to it in the anime where. Uh, Goemon's teacher uh, throws a dead bird at him, which that's explained more in the manga because his teachers are telling him that he needs to be more ruthless. And, you know, the bird is a demonstration. But at the end, uh, Goemon decides that, you know, seeing the Tokyo Pop version, he tells his teachers straight up, he's like, you guys are full of shit. Go kill some birds. I'm going to go train with the real master. Who's that? Lupin III. And so the uh, last panel shows Lupin on the couch with his date. And all of a sudden, Goemon shows up in the background wearing a big backpack. He just throws the door open. Hi, Master, remember me? <laughs> I, just, I just pictured that gif of like the door blasting open and some big bird. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. We're to you got that panel because it's hilarious. Like, Monkey Punch draws Goemon with this. With such youthful enthusiasm on his face, and you just see Lupin just frustrated in all sorts of different ways. Yeah, <laughs> being interrupted yet again. I love I, I love that comic. Also, oh, the Tokyo Pock of like when they called Goemon a little bitch. I was like, no, yes. maybe be, be a Cobra Goemon, not a little bitch, not a little bitch. Yeah, <laughs> you think you have to catch Lupin? You catch the cold. Yeah, but no, I I love when he walks in when he walks in on Lupin. He goes, "Hey, master, remember me?" Just the grin on his I face know, that Monkey Punch drew. Again, manga Goemon is petulant looking, and I'm I'm here for it. I miss I miss petulant Goemon. Right, like I'm of the uh, I'm of the opinion that Goemon in the manga, at least the original series, not so much later ones because that there's actually a time skip. But I can believe that you know Goemon in the original 1967 manga is I don't know 16, 17 years old. Yeah, like I mean, hmm. there's nothing really saying it, but you know, I I can believe it. Yeah, that he is the youngest of the crew. I can see that as well. Right. I can just see that in general, even now that he that he is the baby of the right. crew, with Fujiko being the youngest, but among the among the boys, I mean. But um, anyway, about the uh, about the episode, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I really like about this, like uh, the gag with Lupin looking through a hole in the magazine at Fujiko. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Especially the reveal when it's see, when we see how close he's actually sitting to her. <laughs> uh, I love that. Also, Fujiko's disguise, Ginko Fujinami, aka Chris's internet search history. You know, <laughs> you know the black hair. It, <laughs> I mean, all, all I'm saying is that maybe she wore some glasses as well. You know, that may have helped with her disguise. Lupin may not be able to mm. see through it. You know, just saying, just saying. You know, it couldn't hurt. Did you just say you wouldn't have seen through it? I guess I did, didn't I? <laughs> How about that? Wow. Man, even accidentally, I'm on top of stuff. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, there's a bit where uh, one of Fujiko's men knocks Lupin unconscious, and then they have their weapons delivered to them. I think a more entertaining way to do it would be to have Lupin knocked out by having the crate dropped on top of him. You know, mm-hmm. that would have felt, mm-hmm. you know, more monkey punchers, I think. Mm-hmm. I always kind of felt bad for that guard that said, you can't bring guns in here. I don't know why, yeah. but I feel so bad for that guy. Especially because he gets immediately gunned down. 
the scrolls being dynamite always felt like a very monkey punch type gag. <laughs> Especially because there's no reason for them to be. They just are. Just in case a specific situation would happen. I don't really quite understand the whole thing with Lupin the Second. Like, did he just go around challenging every swordman he ran into? I, Why not? I mean, I'm sure he had other stuff to do, but... Then again, dose. My biggest question is why is Lupin the Second dressed up just like Lupin the First? Hey, Graham's has style. <laughs> the, the, those, je- those jeans, man. Those jeans. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Also, who voiced Lupin the Second in the dub? Do we know? Mm. That was Tony Oliver. That was Tony Oliver, wasn't it? It kind of sounded like him pulling po- yeah, a rougher voice. That's, that's what I thought too. It, mm-hmm. It'd be pretty neat if it was. Medieval armor in modern day setting, for some reason, is always funny to me. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a manga chapter and a part three adaptation of it that also does the same gag. You know, and there's like this really neat. Uh, it's like one of the fundamentals of comedy, especially physical comedy, is that you have rigidity versus flexibility, which I think is exemplified really well in that duel. I always like the, uh, the "what a blockhead" line in the dub. <laughs> Of course, I'm just really fond of uh, Blockhead as an insult. <laughs> Never quite understood the fake out with the fake scrolls that Fujiko steals. Like, mm. why? Why was that a thing? Well, you know, Fujiko's part of the story was done. We didn't need to see her again. And then she shows mm-hmm. up just to take fake scrolls and we didn't, never hear anything else about it. That, that was odd. On that note, like I said, I, I really enjoyed this episode a lot. But I do think it has some, uh, it does have like a few like animation and pacing issues, I think. Mm. Like uh, uh, when Lupin and Goemon are dueling, we see like Goemon's sword is colored to look like the Dantetskin until it actually hits Lupin on the head, in which case now it's a wooden sword. Yeah. You know, and like the staff Lupin's holding breaks. We see him plant the bug on Goemon, which I thought was a pretty clever uh, visual pun. It's a, literally a ladybug. But, <laughs> and so, yeah, so then we see Lupin fall to the ground, and then we see him unconscious. He's now holding both halves of the stick again. That would imply that he picked the stick up in order to be unconscious holding it. That almost feels like a casualty of like the director changeover. Maybe like maybe some like could be like I don't know because and you also bring that there's also that moment when Lupin is talking to Jigen about the um, the tournament. There's like a lot of recycled animation there, and there's like a moment yeah. where um uh, the top of Jigen's hat is even colored wrong. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it's the color of the newspaper on the wall, which again, like animation errors, yeah, are they are, but like it, it does kind of feel like maybe like I don't know, maybe Miyazaki, maybe this is just me speculating, but Miyazaki and Takahata were kind of strapped for time and kind of to like you know get it out quick. I, I feel like I feel like the bit with the uh, with the stick breaking, you know, that's like really awkwardly done. I feel like it may have been done in an attempt to uh, replicate the gag from the manga mm. because in the uh, manga version of the story. We see uh, Goemon's sword, you know, connecting with the uh, stick Lupin's holding. And then it cuts to outside where some of the other guys in the tournament were like, nobody can beat Goemon, not even Lupin the Third. And that's when you see him unconscious holding the two halves of the stick. <laughs> Which, you know, obviously much better done. So I, th- I feel like that was just, they were trying to replicate that gag and it didn't quite work. Also, after uh, Lupin's duel with the old man, Dickhead Lincoln. Um, <laughs> you know, we have the scene with Goemon's challenge letter, which, you know, it, it's a fine scene on its own, but then it just like, the scene stops 
it, it, it it's almost like it resets. You know, it's like mm. there's like no real passage of time or anything connecting the two, those two scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you know, the scene after that just kind of ignores it. <laughs> you know, because then we get the whole thing with the half car and you know the resolution, but which is great, but it's just not really connected to the scene before it. That said, you know, these are just kind of like you know just minor issues. I mean, uh, the good far outweighs the bad. Um, yeah. Great episode. I, I really, I really enjoy it. Yeah, so same here. This is another one for me where, like, man, I this one's just a blast from start to finish. Like from the opening bit with like Lupin being just an absolute idiot outside with the statues, and like the like my favorite detail is him just like you get all these dramatic like anime poses of like you know karate chopping and kicking these statues, and then he's like, ah, perfect immediate cut to him sitting on the couch like with his head and his hands all bandaged up and just not looking happy about it. That was another gag taken straight from the manga. Uh, that, that, that tracks. That's perfect. Um, I also like how it, like it establishes early on that maybe hand-to-hand combat is not Lupin's strongest suit. <laughs> like the, the moment he immediately tries to take on Goemon, he just gets whacked in the head. And so, like, again, he has to use his brains or he has to be, once again, an underhanded little shit, which he is in this episode repeatedly. Like, from the moment he gets into the tournament, just throwing a rock at a dude. <laughs> like, right in the face. After confronting him wearing the exact same outfit. And I specifically love uh, whoever that dub actor is playing that guy. The sound of bafflement that guy makes before Lupin throws the rocks floored me. <laughs> hey, who's hiding over there? It's you, Mr. Hanji of Annika. I just love specifically the characterizations in this episode. Like they are pitch perfect for like for me for this episode. Like you got you've got Lupin being you know, like a little crafty little shit who's in who's, who's in a bit over his head and just gets completely taken out by going on initially then he has to like you know start he has to start resorting to like his more uh his more kind of like resourceful using his brain pretty much to outwit going on at like at all points which is kind of really fun to see you've got fujiko being a complete badass not only taking out a dude not not taking out a guy but you know she pulls a Goemon with like her little short sword when that guy comes like from behind her with the wooden sword she like does one swipe and it's like I mean, it's not even bisected, it's like trisected into three pieces, which is just awesome. So immediately Goemon's like, over here. <laughs> and it's just, again, baller Goemon. He's like, I see you. Goemon. <laughs> <laughs> I will forever just call him now Chad Goemon or Mr. Steal Your Girl. Because Mr. Steal Your Girl. That is perfect. <laughs> oh, God, there's, there's one particular moment that really stuck out to me in this episode, and it's the bit... Um, uh, before Goemon, uh, before Lupin gets knocked out by Goemon, when he plants the ladybug on Goemon, obviously Goemon goes to have a uh, conversation with uh, Dickhead Lincoln or the commander about the uh, the forging of the Zentetsuka and the fact that you know uh, the commander brings up that you know uh, Lupin the Third could possibly be here. You know Goemon mentions he's well aware and that he'll kill him if he sees him. And then, you know, the little ladybug takes off. Goemon immediately clocks it, cuts it in half. And then the feedback goes on like a fritz in Lupin's earphones, which, you know, obviously caused him to freak out. That 
gag is very reminiscent of the scene in Mystery of Mamo when he gives Fujiko, you know, the Philosopher's Stone, and, you know, Mamo immediately clocks he's being a fake and zaps it. That's interesting because this episode is written by Atsushi Yamatoya. Now, Atsushi Yamatoya did not actually write or co-write The Mystery of Mamo, but he did work on story elements of it with Soji Yoshikawa before Yoshikawa went and wrote the script by himself, gave it back to Yamatoya. Yamatoya, you know, approved it. And Yamatoya has co-writing credit, but he didn't actually write the script. They like pitched ideas back and forth. Then Yoshikawa went and took those ideas, made a script. But I almost wonder if that little gag in Mamo is a little nod to Yamatoya's joke in part one considering a, like a lot of the people that worked on Mama were part one people and they were kind of looking to kind of recapture that feel. I, I almost kind of wonder if, if that Mama gag is yeah. like a little tip of the hat. Yeah, that would be interesting. Feels like a possibility. Might be. Oh, yeah. Another thing in this. Um, uh, yeah, the whole deal with Lupin II and just wandering around challenging random samurais is very odd, but also like, I don't know. There's something funny about it. It's like, hey, you. Want to fight? <laughs> a man with a top hat just appears to to you in a desert. Like you're gonna say no? I mean, why not? It's like that whose line episode. It's like things just like what people say to start fighting. <laughs> you want to start fighting? Yeah, hey, you want to start fighting? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, like you, know, you got to consider like you know, uh, Dickhead Lincoln is like you know training you know in a Japanese desert, and then this Frenchman shows up and challenges him. It's like, I mean, I, I feel like you got to agree to that, right? It's like, oh, yeah. I mean, how often does opportunity present itself in what I assume is 1950s Japan? You know, I imagine there's not a whole lot of people being challenged by uh, strange Frenchmen. <laughs> mm, I mean, point. you never know. Back on the subject of Lupin being a little shit. I love, they, they do it in the dub, but I specifically like it in the uh, the original Japanese version, the the whole bit where once again Fujiko being badass, she has an entire like crew. She's like she's doing her own thing in this episode, which is pretty cool. Like she's just straight on leading a charge to like steal these scrolls. Like man, again, part one Fujiko, it's hard to beat. She kind of owns the this series. <laughs> the goat. Um, <laughs> it's specifically the bit where you know they they charge in, they kill a bunch of people. Which is, again, th- th- there's that weird, odd push and pull between the Osumi and Miyazaki. And this episode, like, really has that dichotomy where there's, like, there's this silly stuff at the tournament that feels like maybe there could be some Miyazaki stuff there. There's the showdown between Lupin and Dickhead Lincoln, which is insanely goofy. Then you also have a moment where Fujiko is leading a gang of thieves who are just mercilessly gunning down guards who, like, don't stand a chance. And the moment they get faced with Goemon, Goemon gorily bisects a dude and then, like, guts another guy, which you kind of don't see, but you know he did it. Like, there's this really fascinating kind of, like, kind of, you know, tug of war, which I really like in these episodes and, like, the the transitional episodes. But getting back to the point I was talking about, the moment when, you know, Goemon dispatches everyone... And Fujiko, like, you know, says, why don't you just kill me if I failed so much? He's like, you know, I don't kill women. She's like, oh, thank you, Goemon-san. Like, you know, and the, 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 the subtitles like, you know, Mr. Goemon. And immediately Lupin goes like, 
Ogoemon-san, like very mockingly, and keeps referring to him as that for the entire conversation. And every time he says it, he puts on that mocking tone. Goemon-san? He is a little asshole in this episode. It is so great. <laughs> it's the best type of Lupin is being a dick. It's something I would love to see in the franchise more. And like, it's something that in, uh, uh, Delaney Jordan, her new video essay uh, covering Mystery Mama, the Mystery Mama will be in the Criterion Collection, which I believe as of this recording is still currently in limbo because tms keeps mercilessly claiming it and i feel really bad hope she manages to get back up it is back on youtube she like talks about how lupon and specifically mystery mamo and you kind of get it here she's like you know he cannot be mature for like one solid second or he will die is the, <laughs> is the way she like refers to him as and that's just it's such a fun portrayal like again i love many portrayals of lupon the gentleman thief is always fun and like you know him having a little bit like him having a coat of honor is always fun but it's also fun for him to just be just a little prick which he is in this episode and he, he is in many of these it's delightful I have to say weird things for all time <laughs> 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 i can see it but yeah overall like again i love just how ridiculous it gets at the end of it when go when lupon shows up as chris mentioned not only a knight's armor but with a shoulder holster like draped over it with a pistol it's just a fun little detail and i love how you've got commander dickhead lincoln who's like so stoic and like you know telling Goemon he has to be like you must be like you know a will of iron and this and at the end of it he's reduced to like wildly like swinging his sword around trying to deflect the blades just like a maniac which again Lupin is such an ass that he drives this stone cold professional to chase him around swing his sword and not realize he's like about to fall into a pothole it's Hmm. beautiful this is peak Lupin right here as far as I'm concerned it's it's it is delightful. And now we'll move on to episode eight. The gang's all here playing card strategy. Once again, this is another episode that is uncredited as far as the director goes, but it's known that it's a mix of Masaki Osumi and Miyazaki and Takahata, and I think in this episode, it's pretty apparent which way it kind of leans. And it was written by Kiyoshi Miyata, who previously wrote Farewell, My Beloved Witch, storyboarded by Seiji Okuda. And Natalie, could you give us the plot synopsis for this episode? The full gang is finally assembled. On Fujiko's request, Lupin sets out to steal Napoleon's legendary trump deck of cards that reportedly were the source of his great fortune. Fortunately, they are in the possession of a wealth-hoarding crime boss, Mr. Gold. With Mr. Gold sending assassin after assassin and the cards having a mysterious secret, can he and Fujiko hold on to them for long? So, Emma, how do you feel about this one? This one's fun, and um, I think I mentioned before that not the first time that Napoleon gets brought up in this series. Mm. I like that. Uh, of all like the French figures that they could pick, pick Napoleon, um, which I mean, good one. Fair. I know they reference Marie Antoinette uh, with her necklace, which is a reference. Well, it's a reference to Marie Sleblanc, but yes, yes. even though it was uh, a, it was also a historical rumor. 
Yes, because it's <laughs> broken into pieces. Nobody knows where it's at. So the, I like that that's like a big part of that like it's constantly goes back to French culture in that way. I was like, oh, these are cards Napoleon used. Are they really? No historical backing behind that. Uh, Mr. Gold, is this the first dickhead? No, this is the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in my, uh, this is the final dickhead. Okay. Okay, fine. Final dickhead. I'll read you my theory at the end of this episode, because I know you actually haven't heard it yet, so I'll bring that yes. back at the end of the show. Yes, I, uh, <laughs> I would appreciate that. This one's just fun. I know it's the first one, to where they all team up without Fujiko betraying them. <laughs> uh... <laughs> And it's the first time all five are in the same episode. Uh, so we finally get to see that. I know Jigen, <laughs> Jigen's luck in this episode is pretty, pretty <laughs> piss poor. Uh, I like a bouquet of flowers by like a small child. Giving up, um, like after that, I would never have children. Um, <laughs> he, sh- he shoved into a coffin again, probably not the most enjoyable thing in the world. Um, <laughs> I, I do like um, that Mr. Gold does show up again later in the series in part five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a cool callback and most people probably wouldn't know that unless they watched part one. I, I like the latter half of like the episodes that we're covering a whole hell of a lot and this one's no exception. Uh, that's why I have on that. Nice. Natalie, how about you? I love this episode. And again, I mentioned that I don't vibe with part one, but I do have some episodes I thoroughly enjoy. Aside from Pi Cal, Emma. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, just trying to bring some levity. Um, or is it levity? <laughs> Anyways, um, no, but piggybacking off Emma, not the first time the Lupin gang ever mentions Napoleon. And I do like the inclusion of French culture, especially because, you know, if you're going by the canon or one of the theories that Lupin is actually the grandson of Arsene Lupin, then there's the, there has to be some French influence there. Cause you know, Arsene Lupin is French as, as was Maurice Leblanc. So yeah, one of the many times Napoleon's referenced Mr. Gold is, is a, is a good, you know, mob boss syndicate villain. And of course, and also the car, the deck of cards that seem to come back again and again, aka looking at you part six, <laughs> but also looking at Mr. Gold's glorious cameo um, in part five, which again, I mentioned that I watched part five when I was in the hospital. The first time I was sick with pancreatitis, I literally just binged all the episodes because I hadn't at that time. I hadn't watched it at the time. And every little Easter egg was me, like um, the Leo DiCaprio meme was like, like that. But except try imagining me in the hospital, just like having moments of like, and ah! and then the nurse is coming in like, are you okay? No, it's just, I know that guy. I know that guy. And they're looking at you like, what? <laughs> but also, poor Jigen. Like, this is where I'm like, oh, my God, Jigen just needs a hug, a bowl of soup, and either a wifey or a husband, whatever he prefers. Seriously, give that um, man a break. Yeah, like, he's literally the the parody of the book. Um, If you give a mouse a cookie, it's give a bitch a break. (laughs) 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 Just just put Jigen on the cover. 
new new drawing inspiration. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I would love to it's see a, it. A bit of break. Yeah, just like put superimpose Jigen's face on that book and just put give give a man a break. Give a bitch a break. <laughs> But, you know, talking about the the back and forth between Osumi Takahara and Miyazaki, um, overall, this episode is very much a, um, so how should I say it? How should I explain this holy trinity in, in, in the context of the episode? The, the shenanigans, Miyazaki. The, di- the direction and the tone, Takahara. The story, Osumi. Mm. And you could, and go ahead, debate with me all you want, but that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Because... Osumi doesn't really write a lot of comedic comedic antics in his episodes. Very few, if at if at all. Miyazaki tends to go more lighthearted and adorable, and very much like um, these really nice uh, found family moments that I particularly love. And then Takahata is a straightforward plot. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. But that that's my that's my thoughts on <laughs> that's my thoughts on that episode. <clears throat> I'm sorry. The opportunity for this joke is long since passed, but Anton Leviety. Nice. You said it, and I thought I'm like, I'm gonna wait. <laughs> nice. It took me three seconds. I mean, I've like- just been thinking Ricky Goldsworth this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't help that I'm from that I live near San Francisco. So, <laughs> but yeah, Chris, how about you? This is my favorite episode of Part One. Mm. I figured. I freaking love this one. It's. I do think it is. At the very least, the funniest episode we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Like yes. one bit that always cracks me up is Lupin's inflatable grandpa. Decoy. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and like then like the cute little wave he gets to it as he he gives to it as it flies off. It that really cracks me up. All of Jigen's slapstick misfortunes are great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fact that it seems to be just him that's being targeted for some reason. Um, the universe just had it out for him in that episode. Yeah, clearly. Yep. I also really like the during uh, Fujiko's flashback to meeting the Joker. Her really confused "what the hell" expression always got to me. It's like I just it's not very often you see Fujiko just so befuddled mm-hmm. and confused at what the hell she's witnessing. It's it was great. I also always appreciated how the best animation in, the, in this episode went towards Zenigata. It's like he moves so much better than anyone else in this. <laughs> like the bit that always sticks out in my mind is when the uh, police cruiser is sliding around in the oil <laughs> and the way he's just like you know, frantically trying to grab something to hold on to it's just so well animated for no real reason and I think that makes it funnier mm-hmm. I also love the shot of uh, Lupin taking out Mr. Gold with the rock you know, while looking <laughs> through binoculars the fact that you know, you hear the impact of the rock, but it's so quiet. Yes. And he just kind of falls over. It's great. But um, I do feel like pointing out that the last half of this episode feels very much like the pilot film. Mm. Because mm-hmm. both the pilot film and the last half of this episode are adapted from chapter 61 of Monkey Punch's original manga series, which was titled Triple Play. No, it's not triple play. It's it's called uh, Camera Tricks in the... Okay, yeah. Uh, chapter 63. My apologies. In the weekly manga action, in the Tokyo Pop version, is chapter 58. It's a fairly faithful adaptation. You have the whole thing with Fujiko and Chigen trapped in the mansion. Uh, Lupin trying to act indifferent 
and Goemon being offended on Chigen and Fujiko's behalf. <laughs> you know, all, all, that is, all that is in the manga. Although, instead of setting up a, uh, a catapult, instead Lupin is hitting on this uh, photographer outside of the uh, mansion. And uh, it turns out that... And so Goemon is trying to pull him away from her. So Lupin's indifference makes a bit more sense there. And it gets to the point where Goemon is like tugging on Lupin's tie, trying to pull him away. And Lupin just takes out a pair of scissors and cuts his tie off. <laughs> and so when uh, so when Goemon goes to rescue Jigen and Fujiko, Jigen notices that Goemon is still holding on to part of the tie, which is what Lupin had written his note on. Nice. With the escape plans. And it turns out that, uh, this is also where, uh, I don't know if you, you guys have probably seen it, because it's one of my favorite panels. In the English version of the manga, this is the chapter where Jigen is looking out the window, sees the police cars, and says, we're caught like balls in a zipper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember yeah. that. I remember that. <laughs> and honestly, I don't have, you know, um, the, the Y chromosome body parts, but my imaginary Y chromosome body parts felt that. And it's like, Oh, (laughs) it's like the line from the film Angus. Just like, I guess I'll go to class without underwear. Ooh, careful. (laughs) But, um, uh, the manga version does have like a, a bit of a twist in that the Fujiko inside the mansion is actually working with the photographer. Hmm. And the photographer is actually taking photos of the plants that she stole. And, uh, there's a whole thing going on there, but, but aside from that, uh, even the stuff with uh, Lupin in disguise explaining to Zenigata how he's going to capture Lupin in this game <laughs> and instead freeing them, that's all straight from the uh, manga as well. There's even a great bit where as Zenigata is running next to the car, which in the anime is animated beautifully. It is. <laughs> the boy pops is running. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when Lupin tears off his mask in the uh, final panel, Zenigata is just like uh, running futilely after Lupin, just yelling, "Not again!" <laughs> it's, it's great, but yeah, it's, you know the original manga chapter is really strong. Um, you know, I like it. I like this episode and the adaptation and all the new stuff in the first half is a whole lot of fun as well. So yeah, it's just I love this episode. It's so good. Everybody gets a chance to shine too. It's so. How about you, Chief? What do you think of it? All right. So this one, I'm gonna once again this whole episode. I'm going to sound like a broken record. This is one of my favorite stretches of episodes in part one, because a just this really interesting, not even like tug of war because like it's, it's just this interesting m- mishmash of Osumi and Miyazaki Takahata, like Natalie mentioned, mentioned earlier. And actually I'm going to piggyback off what Natalie mentioned earlier. So, you know how like, uh, I believe it's episode 10 target the cash counterfeiter gets rightfully cited as I think Chris, you call it the practice of Cagliostro. Yeah. I noticed a lot this time. Did you catch a lot of the elements of Cagliostro in this one, which like makes it kind of very evident that Miyazaki yes. like has a hand in this. I mean, starting from, we have an arrogant rich villain who Lupin sends an advance notice to before robbing him. Uh, it's a treasure with a mysterious extensive backstory told in painterly flashbacks. That's the first time this occurs in the franchise. Mm-hmm. In the process of Lupin stealing this, he like somehow projects his voice into this whole room like of crowded people, and it's a tape recorder decoy mm-hmm. once again that someone lunges after. Like I, I, I never fully picked up on that until this watch. Where I'm like, wait a minute, 
this all seems familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've been here before. And I like Lupin even explicitly Uh, stating he can't stand greedy jerks. Um, uh, So he had to teach a fool like Mr. Gold a lesson, which Mm -hmm. really like, this is kind of the first time in this series where we've had like the honorable, like gentleman thief aspect come out. Yeah. Which I guess like, this is one where Miyazaki and Takahata like really got to add their own touch to it. Although that said, boy, the Osumi's still in here in places, specifically <laughs> in the uh, the hospital scene when they're trying to get out and like he's like, "Oh, this is a pretty silly episode." And then Goemon lunges forward and just slices people like through the stomach brutally, and you're like, "Oh, oh yeah, Osumi's still here." Oh, yeah, Osumi's nice. still right. <laughs> oh yeah, he's still a thing. <laughs> and then someone gets taken out by being uh, flooded by a uh, fire extinguisher. <laughs> you know, you you say that, Drew, about um, returning to the gentleman thief formula. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but wonder if Takahata or even Miyazaki, and, and again, we don't have, I don't have the evidence to support this or to support, this is just me um, having speculation. I wonder how much they they are fans of, or or know enough of like Maurice LeBlanc and the trope of the gentleman thief to rem- to incorporate that and be like, huh? Well, he is a gentleman thief. He's based on Lu- Arsene Lupin. We got to add that to it. Well, I I think if you look at you know say the Castle Cagliostro or even mm. some of the later episodes of Part One. No, it's agreed. Ob- it, it's obvious that Miyazaki and Takahata are huge mm-hmm. fans of. Uh, LeBlanc's work. Yeah, but I, I also say that because, like, um, Miyazaki um, did one of my favorite um, so, I'm such a dork. I love Switzerland as a country, and not just because I have a friend that lives there, but <laughs> also, um, one, one of my favorite books as a kid was really Heidi. And my mm. favorite adaptation, aside from the one that you can look this up on Google, except for the funniest adaptation where it cut off during a Raider game where the Raiders actually won. It was <laughs> called it was called Heidi Gate. This is f- so much fun. But my favorite adaptation was Miyazaki's um, Heidi animated mm. uh, cartoon. It was actually I grew up on it in Spanish because my mom grew up in Spanish as well. But and but Miyazaki talked about how much he did love the source material. So. I, yeah. Miyazaki seems very, very literary, uh, mm-hmm. worldly in that sense, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And also, you jog my memory a bit. The, the More of this episode being like kind of a Cagliostro predecessor. I mean, a clock tower is a major factor. Yes! This episode. And episode <laughs> 10, where I'm like, hey, I see what you did there. But, but, <laughs> I see it, what you did. But the opposite is you can't say like, TMS is TMS be like, hey, remember Cagliostro? They're just going to be, they, they get Cagliostro and be like, hey, remember part one? Remember? I know, yeah. In this case, this more plays into that really depressing quote that Miyazaki had where he was like, yeah, Cagliostro is just like a clearance sale of all my Lupin ideas from part one. You're mm-hmm. like, dang, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Dang. Tell us how you really <laughs> feel. <drink>. Good God. <laughs> but no, I'm, uh, I, I love how silly this episode is. It's great to have the gang all there, like interacting. You've you've got pretty much like all the dynamics down, mm-hmm. like down pat. Although Goemon, Goemon's sillier in it, but I'm still gonna say we're still in baller Goemon territory because yep. he's yeah. like we. Oh yeah, speaking of baller Goemon territory, another first in this episode. So the bit when the uh, uh, Mr. Gold's gang they have the truck, you know, they spray the oil to slip up. Fujiko and Goemon in the truck. There's that really beautifully animated POV shot from like inside the truck of them going into the back of like the semi truck, which is like insanely well animated. Like that also seems like a Miyazaki and Takahata just flexing 
It could have been, again, it could have been like part of the Osumi thing, but either way, that is an impressive shot. When they go in the back of the truck, you like have their POV, it goes all to black. And I think this is the first appearance of Goemon slashing his sword in like the empty void. And you see the two slashes like go across the street, like the screen with him, like, you know, with his, uh, his signature kind of like battle cry, I guess. Because that hasn't happened yet. I don't think because even in his first appearance, when he's slicing the uh, when he's slicing the axes coming after him, you're like you actually see that happen. It's not like that trope that like Lupin establishes of the black screen. I do with believe the, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was like a fun little detail. Yeah. Um, oh, another one more Cagliostro thing here. Zinigata constantly having the rug pulled out from under him by corrupt officials above him, mm-hmm. which is I, 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 like, it apparently seems like a, a favorite aspect that Miyazaki likes to pull from. And also it's just a fun like thing in general. Yeah. Um, I also led to one of my favorite dub lines um, uh, for Doug Earhart says, do get those cards back as soon as you can. I don't take orders from you gold. <laughs> 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 you talk about, you talk about lines and you remember how we're all talking about like Jigen's misfortunes. Sp- <laughs> oh my God. The Spanish dub and the noises that Jigen makes and the comments that he makes. Those had me cackling. Mira, Ramiz, yo creo que son para ti. Ten mucho cuidado, Julian. Pueden ser un regalo de Álvaro. Uh, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I did love also when Richard Epcar did it, but but I was cackling more because I, I rewatched it recently. I, I needed the, of course, after what happened last week, I needed the cheering up. So I rewatched it. And the moments where um, I had it right here. Sorry, guys. Um, the um, The dub actors names so shout out to don't know if he listens but shout out to uh jigen or julian's uh va for the latino spanish let leonardo um arajo or uh, arajo arujo oh god my mother's gonna kill me (laughs) (laughs) anyways like those noises he makes as jigen when he's going through all the shit he goes through just had me (laughs) cackling almost doubling over like how did he sound when the uh, axe came through the door Oh, and um, a shining moment. <laughs> I can't describe it. I'll have to show it to you, but you, you just have to watch it. Because if, yeah, <laughs> if, <I try> <laughs> if I try to imitate it, um, it, it would sound bad. But <laughs> and I'm actually looking forward to hearing that because I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. I, I actually hear. I'll actually put them all together because there's obviously the English, the Latino, mm-hmm. Spanish, and the Japanese. I think Epcar does a fine job. Epcar did a pretty good job. With it. I have not heard the Latino Spanish one. I'm very much looking forward to it. Kiyoshi Kobayashi's screech is oh, so yes. funny. Yes. Like, I want that. Can I have that? Is it weird to ask that for, like, a text tone? Like, I just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's mom. You know, I feel like that's up there with uh, Dan Lord J's gasp. Yes. yes, I would agree. <laughs> Christmas special. Drew, like, Drew puts the gasp in here again. I'm gonna. <laughs> Good. Good man. But I also feel like you know, just Jigen's face also helps sell that. Yes, <laughs> the bug eyes. Right. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, no, this is just this is just class. This, you know, who mentioned that? I, 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 I'm probably going off here, but. What I'm trying to say here in the long and short is up until now, for me, when I first watched part one, it felt like a marathon because I was prob- I was so used to part two 
Mm. That's starting off with um, that first episode where Fujiko is on the tickle <laughs> machine. I had some enjoyment with Pi Cal and of course the Goimon episode and some like bewilderment with the Laura episode. But when I was when I was like 15 watching these, I was like, I don't really like part one. I just don't like these episodes so far. Okay, I'll I'll keep I'll continue because it's Lupin. And then you get to this episode. And and I think it is the Miyazaki um formula that made me that made me kind of like um continue. That made me just be mm. like, oh. Well, this is a lot different. This is the Lupin I know and love. This is good. This is crack. Next episode. And then we get Poon. I feel like this episode is where the uh, Lupin III anime formula really solidified. Exactly. Yes, Sorry. I agree. Yeah. Thank you for, for putting it into words. Yeah. Thank you for putting it into words for me, Chris. But yeah, tone, yeah. like Drew said. You know, I, th I think maybe this is why this is my favorite part one episode, because mm. it feels so much like part two. Agreed. It's like... This is on par with me also with the Kiyosuke Mamo episode because of mm. how that one resolves. Oh, I cannot wait to get to that I, one. Me too. <laughs> oh, so I'm going to go hard on that one. I love that episode. Uh, the, manga, the, the original manga story is really good too. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll also agree. I, I think this is like when it really does find its footing because I, I'll admit it, with the exception of the first one, and the third one, I I I, I kind of I love the Osumi episodes. Just how yeah. kind of like strange and like melancholic and kind of mm -hmm. like dark they are. There's still humor in it, but it's not like overtly wacky. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I love here where like obviously though know, Osumi like quit, got fired, left various episodes in like different stages of completion, and you get this weird mix of the Miyazaki Takahata like lightness and some of that harder edge. Which honestly is kind of my favorite, like, that's like my favorite tone for Lupin in general, which I think that might be like why I love part four so much is because mm -hmm. it kind of has that, mm -hmm. there's a I little agree. bit of that harder edge to it, but it's still the goofy shenanigans. I agree, because it's goofy, like, I say, like, the Lupin that we know and love is goofy, mm -hmm. yeah. but also, like, they're criminals. Exactly. exactly. And, like, I, I think <laughs> that's what works about Monkey Punch's manga as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because, cause like, cause like, even in his most you know, serious, dramatic chapters. Like, there's one in uh, in Shin Lupin called uh, In the Rest of Silence. Oh, I love that one. Right? Mm. It's like, you know, it's, it's a really tragic story. Mm -hmm. But it still has moments of, you know, slapstick humor. Yes. And honestly, I think that makes the uh, ending, you know, hit harder. Or, uh, oh, uh, Hell Chaperone, the one that got adapted into a early Part 3 episode. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that one is also incredibly sad, but it's still funny at times. And I think, yes, yeah, that's, that's what I appreciate about Lupin the Third in general. It's like, or if you look at uh, Lupin the, the Third or movies, it's like, it's like those tend to be, you know, more violent and darker. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, whenever they try to be funny, it works. It doesn't yep. feel jarring or out of place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, this just proves, this just proves to me and also at the time I watched it, but this, it's still this, um, continue this continuation of this belief that I have that you could do any Lupin story provided mm -hmm. you have the main cast, but also there's a Lupin. It's like Lupin for all seasons. There's a, there's a flavor of Lupin for everybody. You love the nitty gritty Lupin. Mm -hmm. Here's some Osumi and of course, Koiki and some other ones. You love the more lighthearted, humorous Lupin. There's Miyazaki. And then there's part two. And then there's all of it. Like it's a, 
Lupin has several jackets. Lupin has several tones. Some may like it. Some may not. I, I also bring, bring up the fact that we discussed this when we were talking about that one part six episode. And we were like, we prefer our Lupin Tom and Jerry as opposed to Tom Clancy. But, <laughs> but, but I, I also can say that I do, I do enjoy some that's of good, it. That's a good description. <laughs> that was Chris. That was Chris who said that. I did not come up with that. I, I credit really Chris. That's really solid actually. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember saying that, but it sounds like something I would I think that said, night but... you were a little tipsy. Could be. <laughs> this is like hmm. but but the long and short is there's a loophole for all seasons i don't mind either one but mm-hmm. i noticed with part one i was more because i did like some of the osumi stories but i was more of a miyazaki takahata fan mm. i don't know why i feel ashamed to admit this but i really shouldn't be not because i, I want to be I want to be edgy, okay? <laughs> I want to be like Pi Cal with the, with the side hair. I want to be emo boy, <laughs> edge lord. <laughs> no, it's not. not that special being an edge lord. I no, thought Sisyphus was the edge lord. Sorry, go ahead. Ah, nice. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's. I think that's what solidifies this uh, mm-hmm. this episode in terms of the rest of the series as a whole. Also, yes, I agree. Goemon is still mildly a Chad. Somebody's finally sitting him down and talking to him. Probably Lupin, and he's starting. The Chad is starting to slowly edge out. <laughs> edge. <laughs> but then he just shows up, as we discussed on our holiday special. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. he just suddenly appears. Yeah, yeah. Not only, not only does he just show up up like the episode he literally materializes in one shot at the end when he like <laughs> saves Jigen's ass like he just pops into frame and you're like oh wow he actually oh. materialized <laughs> okay see i think i think what happened was is that zenigata got all the animation budget they didn't have enough did. to actually animate going on entering the room yeah yeah, yeah. Like, which is the logical explanation but like it is so fucking funny <laughs> <laughs> someone's like yeah, just materialize Goemon, it works. Trust me. <laughs> want to add like a pop sound effect to it, like, you know, like just. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I'm needed. <laughs> it's like, uh, Goemon's fast, right? Yeah, how fast? <laughs> well, and the, the clear explanation is that in a lot of ninja stories, like in Naruto, they do, ninjas do have this like this like technique where they suddenly appear out of nowhere yes and and and, you know sometimes you can never pinpoint what goemon is yes he's a samurai but he's known to have ninja tactics and moves well his ancestor was a ninja exactly or he depicted such in pop culture and ladies and gentlemen and anybody else watch or listening emma was literally (laughs) r-o-f-l emma are you okay The image of that happening multiple times in this entire <laughs> franchise because he just shows up, which is the- <laughs> 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 so I, I guess the, the final notes for this episode are we established that Goemon is both a Chad and a Hokage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> also, Emma, can I just say you are laughing so adorably right now? Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I just used the, the pops. I can't even do it. I'm laughing too hard. I'm saying, instant Goemon. That's all you need. <laughs> you go. See, we got we got canned grandpa and instant Goemon. All right. So it, it's it's like instant ramen. Okay, got it. <laughs> instant Ishikawa. I like it. 
So I guess I guess we're going from uh, the we're going it's from samurai and inflatable grandpas to poon. Yeah, yeah, we're going from that to poon. <laughs> poon. Oh boy. I'm sorry. I I have the mind of a three year old. Okay. Hey, look. I'm always up for discussing Fujiko's Putin, all right? <laughs> and I also feel like repeating the joke I made last time. If Fujiko is lying in a bed calling out for Poon, it's dramatic. When I do it, it's pathetic. <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> oh, that's new oh. levels of self-deprecation that not even I could do. Nope. <laughs> パワーロメン。年々ぼやの寒さとは小柄しゅいてる山の村愛に受けないまま so I guess that officially means we're moving on to episode 9, A Hitman Sings the Blues. This is the last episode with the sole director credit given to Masaki Osumi, but it is not the last of his work we'll see in the series. And it was written by Toru Sawaki, who previously wrote One Chance for a Prison Break, and was storyboarded by Masahiro Sasaki. The successful heist of a microcomputer design hits a bump when Fujiko encounters Poon the Hitman. Take <laughs> take all those, yeah, insert laughter here. Um, <laughs> her old partner in crime. Fujiko takes a bullet and needs surgery, but Poon holds her hostage in their hideout. Now, Lupin must find a way to save her life before it's too late. So on that note, uh, Bestie Emma, how do you feel about that Poon? <laughs> I, I love this episode, mm. actually. Uh, Lupin having to basically, like, go all out to save her and stuff just, like, makes my heart sing. Uh, Poon. Poon. It's hard not to laugh at that name. Um, <laughs> Poon also just looks straight out of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Just... Uh, like just, you like a time travel basically if you forget where you're at like watching this series like when it was created just look at poon <laughs> he's a good time capsule yeah, yeah. uh if like that pencil thin mustache i just hear the jimmy buffett song play uh when i see him i mean would we uh, i'm sorry to keep adding more to the dirty humor but would we consider poon's mustache the literal porn stash of the 70s style? Uh, no, I don't consider the pencil-thin mustache the porn stash. Okay. That's me. Okay. That That's my, of uh, the 70s, 60s, 70s. I don't consider it. Okay, see, for a second there, I thought you were saying that you were the uh, porn stash of the 70s. Me, you know, do, myself? Do, do, do how you phrase that. Ah. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> watch, watch that be her new Twitter handle, the porn stash of the 70s. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I just really like, he tries all that he can do to save her, and, but she needs treatment. And it's like all my favorite tropes into one. I just, I really like this one. Like, mm. uh, it, it's definitely... 
Asumi's like last create like episode creation, uh, and you can definitely see that. Mm. Um, again, like I mentioned on the last episode or last, uh, yeah, episode eight with the callback in the future, Poon being called back in the OVA is Lupin still burning. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think his voice actor was credited on that, but I don't think his English voice actor was credited, at least not on the Lupin wiki, which I can't stand that site. But I have um, um I have it digitally downloaded on Amazon, so while we keep talking, I'll I'll search I'll search um Yeah, I don't know what Poon's English credit was. Um but I know I just yeah, I really like the tone mm, of this episode. Mm-hmm. This is well, I do like I, I love the goofy tone of Lupin. That's usually what I look for, but I, I do like a serious tone as well. I just yeah. like when it's well executed. And I think this is one that does that successfully. Sweet. Natalie. Mm-hmm. How's the poon treating you? Oh Lord. Um, can I just add this disclaimer that like, while it is a really funny name, um, this is just me. This isn't like me being woke or anything. Uh, this is just me acknowledging that Poon is a legit, legitimate, um, Asian last name. It's orange is origins are debatable, but I have Korean, I have Korean coworkers and friends with that last name. So isn't it like usually spelled like, like I, I saw like, I think it was on the liner notes of the Blu-ray or the DVD mentioned that it's like usually P-U-N or P-A-N. P-U-N-P-O-N. But I have seen the legit P-O-O spelling. Well, yes, we could joke. It's like another another word for, you know. Can I make a joke about it real quick? Go ahead. Get it out. Let's get it out. Whether it's uh, spelled P-U-N or P-O-O-N is something I have a vested interest in. Clearly. <laughs> well, personally, I love I love all the poon jokes I can make out of it in this episode. Mm-hmm. I do acknowledge that there's people legit with that last name. So let's just get that out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hard feelings. No, it's just because I don't want people to like think we're being insensitive or anything. Oh, no, but no, no, no. it is a funny name. And also, I just have this thing of like, um, just being really kind with people with other with um, different last names to the point where I, I, I get really well at like, pronouncing them then again mm-hmm. I, I credit to where i grew up anyways um i love this episode probably the only assuming episode that i actually enjoy aside from goemon's episode and um and the linda episode even though the linda episode is like all over the place like emma there's a lot of tropes that this episode hits for me but also i'm just very much invested in even though it's debatable um especially with how this series doesn't have canon. Um, it's debatable. You know, I'd like this little nod off to Fujiko's past mm. and connections that she's made in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes sense for one of those connections to be a lover. Cause not just of how beautiful she is, but also of how, how men are just attracted to her. Um, powerful men indeed. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Poon is definitely a time capsule. I kind of do see it as a porn stash, but also kind of giving me like legit shaft vibes um, with, with the coat and the glasses. <laughs> I don't know why, but um, yeah, it's this, this whole thing of like Fujiko and what is her, what is her feelings? What is her inclinations with men? Cause like with Lupin, 
at the time this episode com- came out, there was no set like, is she is she Lupin's girlfriend? Is she Lupin's rival? Is she Lupin's lover? What exactly is she? And then, of course, you have my trash with like PyCal, where Chris helped me confirm that, yeah, Chris and Emma did help me confirm that like, yeah, um, Fujiko does have some deep rooted feelings with PyCal. And it's especially in a, it's especially telling in Return of the Return of PyCal with the alternate ending of her comparing herself to Orpheus and him as Eurydice. In- insert Hades Town reference here. <laughs> oh no, every time I think of them as a couple, um, Fuchiko and, and Paikal, uh, wait for me from Hades Town Place for some fucking reason. Because um, of that stupid connection. Anyways, um, yeah, you could tell this is an Osumi episode, but I think by this point, and this is where I'm getting to with like the change of tonality and how we're getting into the Miyazaki era, you do see that something must have happened for Osumi to be like, I'm going to tone down on some aspects of what I'm doing with the franchise here. Because you could tell it's an Osumi episode, but it isn't as as strong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do have a bit of an explanation for that, but I'll wait. Okay. No, why don't you just tell me? Uh, so this one... Like I don't know like how many more details of it were changed, but like I think this one was supposed to be a little bit more hard edge than it was, oh. because um, specifically you know the bit near the end when Lupin is shooting like you know the bamboo s- stalks into the uh, the wall to give Poon the uh, the tools, but also to distract. Mm-hmm. Well, you know the bit where he fires the uh, the one bamboo pole like above the window and the guy reaches to get it what it was originally supposed to be in like under osumi was lupon launches another bamboo shoot and impales the guy oh jesus christ okay yes! <laughs> so i believe that's what happened in the manga version <laughs> also that was in the manga yeah it was okay. yeah so yeah. and and i also I don't know think, that i don't think i've read that story what what volume was that in chris for uh, the Tokyo Pop translations. Uh, in Weekly Manga Action, it was chapter 82. In the Tokyo Pop version, it was chapter 79. And it is in volume 9. Yeah, I don't have it's, that volume, so... It's it's really good, but I'll I'll talk more about that version. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I almost wonder if that, like, if, if had Osumi, like, had the changeover not happened, if it would have been a little bit grimmer. Because also, there's the whole segment at the warehouse, which is mm-hmm. allegedly all done by Miyazaki and Takahata. You can kind of tell in the character designs, like there's a little bit of a shift. Yeah. And, and, and a jump in animation quality, but like <laughs> specifically the bit where when Lupin and Jigen escape, like it's a pretty like violent thing that happens where Jigen literally shoots two men dead, but it's mm-hmm. animated so comically. <laughs> that you're like, so there's Miyazaki taking, I guess what was like a script they couldn't change too much and adding a goofier touch. And I wonder like how much more, uh, kind of harder edged it would have been if Osumi had like not <laughs> been gone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, on to finalize my thoughts. Um, yeah, Poon. But also, I I I have it here. Um, in is Lupin still burning? The OVA. <laughs> it was KG Tang who voiced Poon. Okay. Um, nice. boy. I can't my say boy. for certain if it was him in the dub, but the Latino dub made Poon sound like. Um, sound like he came straight out of a Mexican soap opera, which is fitting. <laughs> yes, I was like, please tell me it comes out like a, 
He does. And I, and I think it's just because of tone. I don't think it's just because the actor was like, let me play him like a soap opera, like a soap <laughs> opera protagonist. No, I really do think it's because of the tone. Vanessa, pasamos tantas cosas juntos. Tuvimos momentos de peligro, muchas misiones riesgosas, pero también momentos de felicidad. No te he podido olvidar. Y por eso es que no paré hasta encontrarte. Y ahora no te dejaré ir de mi vida. One of the things I love about this episode is those those really sweet and sincere moments with mm-hmm. Fujiko and Poon of like them remembering the, their past together and him tending to her while she's injured. And it just plays so beautifully in in the Latino dub in the, in the mm. English dub, it's, it's, it's also the same, but also like, I was just really just focusing on um, listening to how Fujiko, Oh God, Michelle Ruff. She sounds so beautiful and sensual throughout this whole dub apart. Mm-hmm. But in here, it's, just, it's, it's a little bit extra again, because of the subject matter. So yeah, those are, that's my feelings on our boy Poon in the episode. Um, yeah. I mean, again, it surprises me that I made this realization today that I'm more of a Miyazaki fan, but I can't acknowledge that there's some Osumi I love. Again, this was his last one, and his coup de gras was um, was Voyage to Danger, which I do love. Uh, yeah, but it's very toned down Osumi. Mm-hmm. It, it's I, I feel like Voyage to Danger could have been a lot more hardcore mm. if Osumi wanted to make it more hardcore. But I guess by that point, Lupin had already been established a certain way that he was like, well, I'm going to do my version, but I'm basically going to dial it down to a 10% here. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So, Chris, them poons (laughs) that you're so interested in? (laughs) Last poon joke of the night I'll make, I I promise. But um, I feel like I need to get out, give a shout out to my Italian friend Veronica, because... I believe this is her favorite episode of Lux Lupin III as a whole. Uh, she's a huge fan of it. And honestly, I see why. It's, you know, uh, I think this is the first, like, really good Fujiko-focused episode. Mm. Yes. You know, she gets a lot of uh, development that we hadn't seen up to this point. Like, I feel like the closest thing we got to it before was probably the man they called the magician. Yeah. And even then, I feel like this episode handles her much better. Hmm. You know, her backstory with Poon, I think, is incredibly interesting. It's really compelling. Um, and, you know, as we alluded to, because this is my thing, damn it, this is adapted from a manga chapter, which uh, I feel like, if memory serves, most of the stuff involving Fujiko and Poon's backstory was invented for the anime. Like, the manga story begins with Fujiko uh, sick with uh, a burst appendix inside uh, uh, Poon's hideout. Ooh. Yeah. And so, so in, like, you know, either way, the basic gist is the same. You know, Lupin's having to deliver surgical tools. And, uh, you know, it also plays out similarly with, uh, you know, Lupin getting into the hideout and Fujiko shooting Poon down. But uh, the anime does add, like, a few touches that I really like, such as uh, Goemon's uh, incredible flute playing for dramatic effect. Mm. It's like mm. I know it sounds silly saying it out like that, but it's I think it's done incredibly effectively in the episode mm-hmm. itself. Although I do feel like it's like a little 
We also get to see Fujiko dancing again. And I understand this is her episode. <laughs> she still can't dance. It's like almost the exact same dance as the pilot film too, isn't it? It's like, it's very it, close. It's very similar and it's still not good. And <laughs> I, I seriously doubt it's an intentional characterization <laughs> choice, but I love how consistent it is. Like they don't, I, I can guarantee they didn't intend for Fujiko's lack of dancing ability to be a consistent character trait. <laughs> it just somehow ends. Can, being, can, I, can I add on to that? Please. It's funny, like, if it is intentional, and even if it is, a, I, I do love that as being a potential, like, solidified trait for Fujiko. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that she can't fucking dance, yeah. Because dancing yeah. is such a sensual, usually, not all the time, but in a lot of areas, a very sensual, like, thing to do. And it's very, like, it requires a lot of practice. It requires a lot of talent uh, and overall hard work. But it's, like, very graceful and beautiful. And to have somebody who is very, like, the epitome of sensuality, grace, beauty, all this other, and vision to not be able to dance is really endearing to me. And it's, like, good. You're not perfect. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fujiko is beauty. Fujiko is bra- uh, grace. She terribly dances all over the place. Thank you. I do honestly, it, like it's a consistent thing because even when she's pretending to be the ballet dancer in part two, she's kind of botching that too. So yeah, I, I <laughs> head cannon confirm for me. Yeah, yeah, it's, but it, oh, and yeah. and you know Emma, on um, um, just real quick. All dancing is all dancing because it involves the body, and you know that's what you're looking at when you're da- when people are dancing. All dancing is sensual, whether it's ballroom, whether it's hip hop, whether it's cumbia, everything. Because I know I'm always when it's a beautiful person dancing, I'm staring at butt most of the time. Butt Even and the hips. chicken dance. <laughs> Except for that. The chicken dance. Yeah, All especially right. the chicken dance. That's a mating dance. Just I don't know what you're sure. talking about. That is, <laughs> that, is the, that is the mating dance. Well, according ac- Well, according <laughs> according to the Jimmy Neutron film, it's a mating dance. So yeah. that's true. Cuckoo Cha. But yeah. I'm I'm someone just nobody in the family ever seen a chicken. <laughs> just side note here i've actually my aunt when i was living with her had pet chickens that we when they started peck pecking each other until one of them died we actually had to cook them so yeah i, I know Damn. what a chicken looks like yeah hardcore yeah the, the pecking party i think that was referenced in one flew or the cuckoo's nest <laughs> anyway but, Legit. Someone make me a sticker or a t-shirt that just has Fujiko terribly dancing that says she is beauty. She is grace. She terribly dances all over the place. I'm writing drawing. Thank you. Anyway, Chris, did you have any other thoughts on this? Well, Since I, I, I took it away, no, I'm I, sorry. Oh, no, it's all good. You know, turnabout is fair play. I did, you know, I, I jump in and cut Drew off all the time, so... <laughs> Hey, I don't even notice. 
this is why we're this is why it's a it's literally a podcast with friends and friends do this oh yeah i love y'all me too okay (laughs) 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 but um but no jokes aside chris you have any other um notes or anecdotes to add about um this episode no not really i think we've i mean i i think i said everything i i need to like it's it's really good i like it a lot very faithful to the source material, but also mm-hmm. builds upon it in very fascinating ways that mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed. So then, Drew, tell 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 us your thoughts on the poon. Oh, I got a lot of them, um, <laughs> but no, I'm also going to again with every episode. I'm once again chiming in similarly. This is I don't want to call it yet because honestly, I've not watched I have not rewatched the back half of part one in a long time, which is why I'm actually very excited to get into these now but this this could be a top fiver for me mm-hmm. as far as part one goes because i think this is like the epitome of a uh what i love about masaki osumi's episodes just that kind of melancholy like natalie mentioned and, and chris brought up too like that, that very like lived in feeling of like fujiko has like a palpable like backstory like she has like this whole untapped history we're just getting like a little glimpse of which is really nice. And you add that on top of, as I mentioned, I'm going to mention it now, but as I mentioned earlier in the episode, that weird sense that part one has of like a real sense of place and all the locations you go to, like the wharf at the beginning of this episode, like, you know, uh, I think it's a, am I using the right word? Wharf or like a, a bay or whatever. Yeah. Wharf, it's, bay, yeah. pier, whatever yeah, you want to call like, it. The p- pier. That's, that's pier. a better word. Like, <laughs> pier. The opening at the pier with like, that sound design and there'll be like these shots that slowly pan across and give you just like this real atmospheric kind of, again, real, like a real palpable sense of place or um, uh, at the end at that, that cabin that Poon holds up in. And Chris, you mentioned that scene where like Goemon is just off in the sunset playing his flute and you get these shots of like, you know, the Vista there you add that with like this back backstory and there's just, I don't know, there's this real kind of tangible feeling to part one with like the detail and the drawings and I'm getting really weirdly esoteric, but like you no, get what, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. <laughs> You're picking no, and, up what I'm putting down. <laughs> I think, I hope, <laughs> I don't know if I'm picking it up. <laughs> no, I'm picking it up because you're not wrong about how, stunning how visually stunning they present these episodes in part one Mm -hmm. and the way you're just describing it remind you know i wish i talked about it now but it just it does remind me how how the setup takes place you know we were talking when we were doing the um the christmas review you know our christmas episode about breakfast at tiffany you know Mm -hmm. you know christmas at tiffany sort of thing and chris (laughs) mentioned how part two how it just because you know at that point the stories aren't set in japan most Mm -hmm. of the stories are set all over the world and how part two just grips you with like the setup of the countries and the cities that they're in part one grips you with the stunning visual art of of not just the setting but of like what where exactly like topographically or physically the gang is whether it's Mm -hmm. mountains cherry blossoms um hills flowers you name it sunsets Mm -hmm. piggybacking off that too i think chris the way you described it in the holiday special which will be really funny to reference it in this because i think this will come out like a month or two after the holiday special (laughs) so i remember back then but uh 
think you specifically say um, uh, part two has that feeling of like, you know, oh boy, where are we this week kind of deal, which I, I love that the, the kind of globe trotting thing. Whereas in part one, you're like, oh, I'm like, I am in here, like wherever I'm at, I am now in this place and like kind of like just living in it for a bit. You, like, you, ah, man, struggling to find the words for it now. Yeah, with part one, I feel like you get like a better sense of place, I think. Because like with, yeah. part, with part two, you're more like just visiting all these, you know, locations. But whereas in part mm-hmm. one, you know, the whole thing is set in Japan for the most part. And yeah, you really you feel more settled then, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I feel like we don't get a lot of that anymore with the more recent um adaptations of Lupin. I mm. mean, even even in something like part five, where they are traveling all over the world, you you get glimpses of it. You get moments like I'm thinking like, honestly, I'm remembering the Padar episode um, or the Padar storyline where they actually go to Padar and you see the little things like the markets, their like their use of um, technology and mm-hmm. um, the half ass is of humor, you know, all the cultural touchstones. Yeah, and the separation of like of the of the different areas, kind of like a case system almost. But yeah, like, oh my god, give me back some visually stunning Lupin. Well, see, I feel like, I feel I like think, part two, or I mean, I'm sorry, part four, really handled that whole, uh, you know, the whole thing where you really feel settled in with the setting. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, because you- they really marketed off the fact that it's it's in Italy to you know credit the fact, hey, Italy's one of our biggest fan bases outside of mm-hmm. Asia. And, you know, it was a co-production with the, with an Italian animation studio. So. Yeah, which is amazing. And also, yeah. you know, I, I, it, it I, showed, always, I think I will always joke about this, but it, it, it introduced people to a country that not many people are aware of San Marino, mm. because mm. a lot of people. I, 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 no, I, <laughs> I say I say this as a historian and a geography nerd. But like when I meet Lupin fans who are like, yeah, oh, I loved it when they were in that city, San Marino. I'm like, oh, honey, no, that's like calling Dubai a country. No, baby, no. <laughs> San Marino is a, it's its own country inside of Italy. Italy loves having little countries inside of itself, a.k.a. Vatican City. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. But uh, yeah, that, another thing about this thing, Chris touched on this as well. Like, I, I, I also agree that I think this is a really, like, really the first solid Fujiko-centric episode that we've gotten so far. And um, uh, um, I, I was trying to think exactly how she put it in the video, but there's an element that uh, Delaney Jordan brings up in her Mystery of Mama video, which I hope by the time this comes out is back up on YouTube because it should be. It is back on YouTube. But she mentions this aspect of Lupin and Fujiko of how like, obviously there's like love there between them. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I, I love the interpretations of like, it's there but neither of them are ever going to come out and say it explicitly. Like in this episode, they go out of their way to not do it, which is just such a fascinating like dynamic between them. Like, you know, we're, we're, what is it? Like they're driving and Lupin says that like, you know, it's almost like none of your betrayals ever happened. And Fujiko's like, it's almost like I'm in love with you. Mm-hmm. And even like, there's a bit where Jigen asks like, you know, Lupin, just drop it. That woman's betrayed you countless times. Don't you dare say that again, Jigen! Wait, did you... Did you actually fall for her? Don't be stupid. Who'd fall for a woman like... But, like, I just love that aspect of, like, the very, like, apparent love between them, but Mm -hmm. neither of them are ever going to, like, come out and admit it, because the moment they admit it, 
it like stops it's over. Chase stops being fun. Yeah. And the thrill is gone. Which I not to get too derailed, but I love that in the final arc of part five. Like that Thank you. Thank when, you. When thank they touch you. on that where like you get this like weird tension, but like I, I feel like it's kind yeah. of the natural progression where you get like this tension between them because there was this moment in time where they slowed down, stopped and admitted it, and it stopped being fun. And that like cause that like causes a rift between them. Mm-hmm. Man, I can't wait to get to R five at some I, point. I but just anyway. remember like watching that and Ami asking like what broke you apart and Fujio just saying nothing. Yep. And like that really stuck. I was mm-hmm. like at first I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> it took me yeah. a second. Um it's it's, it's like so- register what that meant like it would have much deeper meaning well well not to derail from the not to derail from the topic at hand but it's very much a it's very much on the perspective of the audience and what is your what is your belief what is your stance and or belief or your feelings towards intimacy and and i'm not talking about intimacy like sexual intercourse i'm talking about intimacy in relationships because there's so many different levels and dynamics to it and for some and for some people affirmation is literally just telling the person i love you i care about you for some other people it's acts of of love and care and for some, you know, many people have their own way of how they enjoy it and what they love about it and, and how it works for them. For Lupin and Fujiko, they, they don't need to say outright, you know, like, insert TikTok, insert the vine here of I love you, bitch. I ain't never going to stop loving you, bitch. Like, they don't, <laughs> they, don't, they don't need that. They really don't. Because for them, it's the thrill. And, 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 and you bring up part five, and it just reminds me of the moment where Fujiko in the in the gilded cage is talking to Ami and talks about mm. how like they tried they tried living a domesticated lifestyle it got to the point where they're doing all the things that normal couples do and 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 the novelty of it wore off and they realized for them their dynamic works and you know that's a lot you know for me as someone who still who still doesn't really have a good concept of romance long story that's something to be admired to admire of even if it is mm-hmm. fictional, just these two people who do have these feelings for one another don't need to say it outright because they already know. And mm-hmm. for them, it's really like the thrill of it. And, and that's the exciting part, which brings me to back to this episode and how it ends. But also, I feel like Fujiko finds these partners that she cares a lot about for, but she doesn't need to say outright that she cares about them. Mm-hmm. Pai Cal again. She compared herself to a Greek myth in Return of Pai Cal, and you know, and with Poon, you see that love she had for him. But I don't ever once heard or or saw this whole thing of like, I love you. I have deep mm-hmm. feelings for you. So yeah, you know, you bring that up, and it just reminded me what I do enjoy about the relationship dynamic between Lupin and Fujiko. And yes, I still consider them canonically married after part five, because, hmm. you know, they solidified their relationship right there after he threw off the mask, and she ran out in the wedding dress. So, the end. <laughs> Divorce is a long process. <laughs> <laughs> and an expensive one, too. I don't they see have, They you have also have to it. stay in the same court system. They're not gonna... Pss- Stick around physically. <laughs> no, the, for for them <laughs> again, what they have for them works, and it is working. 
And there, but I still see, you know, there's still the polycule element to it. So she has her flings with Goemon maybe once in a while, maybe Zenigata, but you oh, know, maybe. to huh, huh, maybe Jigen. There, I maybe said Jigen. it. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it too. Porcano <laughs> also, <laughs> like Fujigan Truther. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, Porcano. Not Percano Los Dos, but Percano Al Cinco. But you know, we're, we're, we're getting into some like, you know, very like, you know, kind of deep, philosophical. Kind of deep philosophical character work. So I guess this is the good time for you to mention that it's very funny that Poon mentions that he and Fujiko were the golden pair. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Something funny about a creature named Poon just saying the golden pair is very funny to me. That's yeah. um, you know, that's a little presumptive and a little um grandiose of himself. Like, that's very much like you're you're with your long term girlfriend and, and you think it's gonna work and it's gonna work forever. <laughs> oh yeah, we we are the OTP. Yeah, OTPs God. do not call themselves the OTP, honey. You're, you're compensating for something look, you're lacking. I said I was okay. Look, I admit I was wrong. All right. <laughs> I won't spend too much time time on it since we're on Poon. I also think Poon's just a fascinating villain because, yes. like, I mean, he's a bit of an asshole. Because, like, my dude, you can do more than just hole up in a cabin and be like, I don't know what to do now. I guess you just guess you'll just die. That's it's just like but the thing is about Poon is that like he's an asshole, but he's a tragic a tragic asshole, you know. <laughs> he's an asshole, but he's, 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 he's He's an asshole, but he's Fujiko's asshole. So. Exactly. And, like, the thing is, is, is that, like, he's so fascinating because, like, there is, like, like he truly does care for her. Because you got the bit where his, like, his goon, like, starts firing blindly and he just straight up tackles him to stop it from happening. Like, you, you can tell, like, this is the last, like, like, this is the last thing he would want to happen, like, this outcome. And it's almost like he doesn't, I don't know if he doesn't know what to do, but there's, like, I don't know, like what's your read on him at the end? Cause I know there's a line of dialogue where he says like, you're or like, I'm not going without you or something. Does he like intend on just like he and her just dying in that cabin? Probably. And, 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 and as someone who writes a lot of romance and again, I, I consider myself an admirer of storytelling and tropes. Probably. It's very much that whole, um, I can't, you know, um, Oh God. I don't. I guess. I guess you can honestly add the element of star-crossed lovers to it, but but that but that sentiment is on his side because mm -hmm. I I really don't think Fujiko rolls like that only for mm. one person and one person only because we've seen it time and time again. Lupin. Mm -hmm. And I got examples. Part two during the episode when um, he believes he's got a like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde persona that is killing people. You know, Fujiko ties him up and she's like, look, if it's true, I'm going to kill you. Then I'm going to kill myself. Another part two episode, the the one that was parodying um, the villain as uh, was like a Hitler parody that they took his toupee. And they were they were willing to die together battling mm -hmm. these these um, Nazi stand-ins. So yeah, like I I see her as you, doing the star-crossed lovers element, very ride or die with Lupin, but not with Poon. With Poon, it's mm -hmm. one-sided. He's very much like, okay, we'll die together here then, baby. Yep. I'm pretty sure in her head she's thinking, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and I'm actually glad you said it. Like you, you literally took the words out of my mouth there. Like it, it's Poons is a very like one-sided deal. Cause at this point, by this point, Fujiko is like, 
she, you can tell like she's still there's still like feeling and care there, but she's moved on at this point. Yeah, and, and like and, clearly, and that's that's healthy in any relationship. Not mm-hmm. you know putting myself out there again. I, I I do my my ex was my first true love. I had seven and a half. I'm not gonna say how many you know how it was, but I had seven and a half years with him. Great moments, not so great moments, but I don't. As much as I'll say, I'll complain here and there. I, my feelings towards him is very much like, I love you. I still care for you. But I've, you know, I've moved on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that like makes the whole thing with Poon, like, 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 like the tragedy really sets in at the end when he yeah. dies. Because um, like, he doesn't even like pick up on that until literally like his final moments, which mm-hmm. I'll also point out, no disrespect to anyone who worked on the dub. I think the dub line for that scene kind of sucks because <laughs> he says you fell for that guy and then falls dead whereas in the original like in, in the translated subtitle version it's just simply you love him and he just dies it's not like a question where it's like you fell for that guy it's more just like the realization and then he dies which i i think is a little more profound i think uh i think the tokyo pop version of the manga handled that lineup a lot better than the dub did as well yeah because Lupin admits that uh, he is in love with Fujiko. And then Fujiko mm-hmm. shoots Poon. And the last thing he says is, I see you love him too. Exactly. Yeah, so like, much better. It, it plays a lot better when it's like a statement of him, like, affirming it to himself and not like, cause he sounds even more pathetic in the dub where he's like, you fell in love with that guy? Punk. You're like, oh, <laughs> rip. Which is, <laughs> which is a very, which is a very, Ex sentiment, I feel like when, when, if like if you still hang out with your ex and your ex looks at who you moved on with and they look at they look at that person like, oh, really, 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 you replaced me with that? <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's like it's like that one line from A New Hope. You came in that thing. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like obviously, Poon's a prick, which, <laughs> um, but like, I don't know. <laughs> Oh god! <laughs> Too much random thought there, but like I don't know. Like when, when, when he's obviously like, I'm sorry. That took me three fucking <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, we're, you know, we're we're doing some, uh, you know, serious uh, anatomical or anatomy lessons here on cybers and cigarettes because we have dickheads, assholes, and poon. Exactly. <laughs> and Prince shoulders, knees, and toes covering I all the actually- bases. Well, this is what I say when I le- when I get ready for work. Head, shoulders, jeans, and jorts. Jeans and jorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, him dying with, like, him dying saying, like, you know, oh, you love him, dies. You're like, oh, man, that's kind of a bummer. Like, you're an asshole. That's a bummer. Whereas <laughs> if, it's, if it's you fell in love with that guy, you're like, oh, but I'm glad he's dead. Go to hell. Like, mm. you know, <laughs> I don't know. It just rings more pathetic and, like, not as interesting of a character. As far as I'm concerned. But anyway, I'll stop ragging on the dub. Because that's honestly, that's the only like biggest criticism I've had of the dub this entire time is eh, that line kind of throws off the ending. But, mm-hmm. and I also like how this episode ends on a, uh, again, a weirdly humorous and like tragic note where you've got <laughs> the aftermath of whatever happened after Fujiko and Lupin were dancing and just Jigen comes downstairs and finds Lupin tied up with a big knot on his head. And Jigen just starts cackling, which is a just a beautiful character moment between them. And then you get that final bit. It's kind of reminiscent almost of uh, one chance for a prison break where Fujiko's out on a pier 
kind of forlorn. Whereas, again, you can tell who she cares more about because I didn't hear Putin get a monologue at the end. Yeah, exactly. So, hmm, she, he got a single tear, which, you know, good on Res- him, but yeah, get out of the way. Leave. <laughs> Die. Oh, wait. Go back to sleep and starve. <laughs> <laughs> and she did not reference herself as a mythological figure in context to their relationship. So honestly, I think the tear is... Lupin is up here and Pycal's right here. Yeah, exactly. Because Lupin is right here. I mean, you got a point. Her and Lupin, they had that unspoken thing. Her and Pycal, they had the thing going and like kept going for a yeah. little bit. Man, Poon, she done poor moved Poon. on. Yeah, poor if Poon. If you're below Pycal, I'm sorry. What <laughs> <laughs> of the emo little twink boy? Like, come on. But it's like, again, like, man, he's on such a low tier. Like, man, like, I'd want to die. Like, <laughs> come on. I'm gonna read out that line at the end just be thank you <laughs> heck you know thinking of the tear and it just like the thinking of like the Starcrest lovers aspect you can even joke and say like this is poon isn't even on the titanic levels of of oh um, shit is you know poon, what i mean poon billy zane poon is billy zane <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> running, running around the, the cabin with a gun <laughs> someone just super someone just edit that scene superimpose Lupin and Lupin as Jack um, Fujiko as Rose and then Poon as Billy Zane just like I hope you guys enjoy your time together <laughs> I've written down so many drawing ideas from just this episode Wonderful. hey high five honey high five I, I have Jigen, if you give a mouse a cookie, Fujiko, chicken dance, um, and Poon as Billy Zane. <laughs> Respect. Alrighty, so I guess that about wraps up our feelings towards this uh, this chunk of part one episodes that we have previously covered and have now covered once again, which means moving forward with part one, we're going into a Uncharted territory, and it's only been what two years since we started covering part one. Well, <laughs> well, ever since COVID, time doesn't exist anymore. So COVID threw us off, and so did part six, which is why I'm never doing a weekly <laughs> review for a big series again. Uh- <laughs> we get it, Drew. We get it. <laughs> Look, time, time is just a conspiracy invented by watch manufacturers. All right. Uh. <laughs> As someone who went to the to the um, watch capital of Switzerland, I, you know what? Fine, <laughs> I'll let you have that one. So, Emma, where can we find you on the social medias? On the social medias, uh, you can find me on Twitter, which is still alive, still kicking at e m m a w o l f e two two seven. Just an endless stream of my consciousness, uh, which is terrifying. I'm going to be under a blizzard soon, so I'll probably be posting a lot more than usual. And it's probably going to be insane, so keep watching. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Instagram at E-M-W-O-L-F-E-227. I post uh, cosplay art, my pets, all the time, so... That's all I got for social medias. Natalie, how about you? You can find me on Twitter 
at cap c a p l i h e l l s i n g for as long as Twitter still remains alive. We uh, it keeps being beaten to a bloody pulp, but it's basically like Captain America at this point, going, "I can do this all day." <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't come up with a better analogy aside from that. I um, understood that reference. <laughs> good one. <laughs> um, you can also find me on Instagram. I post a lot of Instagram stories. And when I do post photos, um, they'll bring tissue because my last photo um, was a memory of my 14-year-old Shih Tzu that I um, had to say goodbye to. But yeah, you can find me on there at Captain, C-A-P-T-A-I-N-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. When I'm not, you know, posting in memory ofs i'm posting photo you know stories with memes stuff about my life the podcast um you know i try i i try to look i'm very much like lupon how lupon was described in lupon zero he acts he acts very like erudite and very adult like but he's very much childish me in a nutshell (laughs) um chris where can we find you uh you can find me on most places at Amazing Chris Godby, G-O-D-B-E-Y, uh, such as Instagram, Newgrounds, a few other places I'm forgetting. You can find me on DeviantArt and Twitter at Dr. Furball, D-R-F-U-R-B-A-L-L. I mostly tweet various fandom-related things and posting a lot of cartoony pinups I've been doing. Not sure why, just started happening. I'm also the author of the webcomics WeirdInACan.com and draw o coward.com how about you drew where can folks find you well you can find me on twitter at drew hunter 15 that's a d-r-e-w-h-u-n-t-e-r-1-5 you can find me also currently just waiting in the existence hoping twitter doesn't burn and fall apart because i met a lot of cool friends on there some of them in here right now so like you know i'd like to keep it i'd like to keep it going and honestly um, this is going to carbon date uh, when we recorded this but uh, allegedly elon musk is apparently stepping down we'll find out when this episode gets released if that actually happens or not he says to whoever is foolish enough to take the job and it's like the problem is you my guy i've heard it's going to be a man named belon dusk large fake looking mustache yeah, I'm not gonna read too much into it, but it, no, it's very, it's very much in the vein of the South Park episode where Cartman, where people were ignoring Cartman, and Cartman thought he he had died and he was like a spirit. Yeah, I think Elon, I think it's slowly setting in. Doubtful, but it looks like it's slowly setting in that nobody just likes him, and he's just slowly realizing that. Bruce said he was booed on stage, which changed the bell. Like again, like that how was. How do you in, recover from that? You don't. That, no, that was, and that was in the Bay Area, die, where hopefully. I'm from. Like, why would you think you were not, you were going to be loved in the Bay, my friend? You laid, <laughs> several of the people you laid off were probably at that show. <laughs> anyway, you can, uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Lupin Pod. That's L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. You can find us on Instagram at the same at, and you can also find us on Tumblr at Cyburns and Cigarettes. And you can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, feel free to scroll up if you're on Spotify or, wait a minute, 
yeah, scroll up on Spotify or scroll down if you're on Apple Podcasts to uh, give us a, a, a rating and review. Five stars would be really cool, but you don't have to, but it'd be really nice, you know? Fucking bad. Fucking bad, dude, We could honestly make a banner that just says a anti-Elon Musk podcast. Exactly, hey. Because Lupin... Because Lupin would totally be anti-Elon Musk, let's be real. Hey, just watch part five. Exactly. exactly. Although hopefully Elon doesn't get a bullshit 30-second redemption. I hope he actually just dies anyway. Um... <laughs> <laughs> he collapses and he's gone. Apart, apart daddy. <laughs> On that note, Lupontic folks, we will see you again next time when we finally advance forward into part one. Yeah, boy. Wild, isn't it? Yeah, boy. Yeah. You, so, <laughs> you know what's wild? What? The way Goemon appears. That. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, have a good night, Lupontic folks. We'll see you pretty soon. Good night. Bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>